You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Boys Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 258 of the Big Show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? Another hump day Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. How are you guys doing? Um, special guest for you guys today. Yes, former East Coast and IHL tough guy, Sean Penn, uh, is uh, sat down with me and... Uh, Man, we talked I like two and a half hours, and uh, it was great. Yeah, we, and uh, and Sean had a hell of a career. Uh, you know, and you know how we do it around here. Timeline his whole career. Um, you know, right from uh, junior up through uh, college. He actually is a Miami, Ohio graduate, and uh, played NCAA hockey, and then turned pro. And uh, yeah, three hundred and seventy nine pro games, hundred and twelve points. 1,438 penalty minutes, and Sean fought everybody. His fight card is tremendous. Uh, Engelstad, Morissette, Bialois, uh, Wagner, uh, Roberts, Ramsey, you know, on and on. Um, fought them all, and we talk about them all. And not only that, but some crazy, uh, some teammates, Gary Toporowski being one of them, uh, talk about his teammates and, uh, and just, uh, yeah, it was a great talk. And I want to thank Sean again for coming on the show. A lot of fun. Um, took us, we had been setting it up for a while, so it was, uh, it was good to finally come down with the time and, and sit down and do it. And, uh, and like I said, I've, I've been a fan of Sean's for a long time. I was, I was, I've always been a fan of the IHL. And, uh, yeah, I remember, uh, cause again, he was a, uh, an American guy and then college, so we never saw him in junior. So I remember getting the IHL, the mixtapes. I was, who is this guy? You know, cause, you know, cause again, no internet and anything back then, right? So, yeah, and I was always a big fan of pens, so it, it was cool to be able to sit down and finally, uh, you know, and talk to him. And uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. So I'm not going to talk long. Like I said, we talked for a long time, so I will keep this brief. But uh, if you're on YouTube, uh, check out the Five for Fighting YouTube channel. He's got another one back up and going. Well, let's get the subscribe. Let's get the subscribers going again for him. Um, you know, he's putting up some videos and. 
Um, yeah, and it's you know the road the road back to get his subscribers back, and uh, you know he's putting up some of the some fights, and uh, or he's putting up fights, but we'll, we'll you know keep it on the down low, folks. But uh, you know, and I think he's going to obviously tie in some stuff with the podcast and everything. But uh, yeah, just hit subscribe to the to the channel, and uh, you know there'll be stuff going forward and throughout the winter here. Also, while you're on YouTube. Fourth Line Voice, check out my channel. I have over 2,500 fights, including a lot of Sean's fights. Give it a look and uh, hit the subscribe button. I'd really appreciate it. Whatever platform you're listening to this on, could you rate and review my show? Um, You know, just hit the stars or whatever. It it helps me out in the searches. I know I'm asking a lot here. Subscribe, hit this, hit that. But I mean, you're on the the site anyway. Um, And I would, it, it just, as a creator, it helps me out. It helps Alec out when you listen to his show. Um, any, but any podcast that you're listening to, um, I will speak for all creators. Uh, it helps when you download them because that way they can track the listens, and uh, and also if you sub- and hit the stars. And uh, you don't have to write some long review or anything like that. You don't have to write anything. Just hit the star rating, and that's good enough. Because um, the more ratings you get, the more it helps in the searches, just with the with the analytics and the algorithms. You know, when people listen to a podcast, it might be, oh, if you like this, you might like, and then it lists a bunch of stuff. Well, that's how you get in that list is through uh, ratings. So, uh, yeah. So not just my show, but any show you happen to enjoy. If you enjoy a podcast, believe, believe me, rate, download, rate, and review. The creator will appreciate that. Um, other than that, folks, uh, the only other thing I can say is uh, my boy John Searson out there in the UK. You've heard him on this show a number of times. And if you're a UK folk, you know who he is. He's always bouncing around those forums and everything else. Uh, but what John's doing is a really unique thing. Um, he is actually fighting for cancer, literally. Um, he is raising money for cancer awareness. And he's doing that by putting on the boxing gloves and stepping in the ring. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I've donated. I, I, I thought I was donating to his opponent to knock him out, but apparently it was just to John. No, I just kid. But no, great cause. And, uh, John's been putting up training videos. And, uh, you know, I, I feel, I hear the Rocky theme music every time I watch those videos. But, but good on John. And, uh, you know, obviously for, you know, everyone knows and has been touched by cancer in some ways. And, and, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I think it's a great worthy cause to, to donate to. And, and like I said, we could donate, not only are we do, donating to help find a cure to cancer, but we can also see Searson get punched in the face. And I know there's a lot of people in the UK that would, <laughs> that would pay numerous funds for that. So here's your opportunity to see it. But no, good on you, John. I'm, I'm, uh, very well done, sir. Um, so please check out the link, uh, John Searson, S-E-A-R-S-O-N. He's all over social media. Twitter, Facebook, you know what, what I'm, I see you folks out there, you, you know where to find them, but, uh, anyway, folks, uh, other than that, uh, how about we get into this, uh, like I said, it, it goes for quite a bit, so, uh, I will, uh, keep this short, um, other than that, follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, both Fourth Line Voice, um, if you ever have any question or questions, comments, uh, what have you, send me a direct message through those, through those, through my social media accounts. If you're not on social media, like I would say, you're smarter than the rest of us. Just email me, hockeyfights, all one word, hockeyfights at hotmail.com. Drop me a line. Love to hear from you. Uh, the good, bad, or the ugly, whatever it happens to be. But, uh, other than that, folks, um, other than that, if you enjoy this show, uh, like I said, there's 257 previous episodes. Definitely, uh, 
go back if you're new to the if you're here for Sean, you know, and you're a fan of his, and this is the first time you've listened to the show. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, as I said, there's 257 other episodes. I've interviewed Morasti, McIntyre, Joey Tedarenko, Roman Volpat, Clark Wilmon, and on. Go back and definitely check out the back catalog. You'll find someone in there. I think you'll dig it. Um, other than that, I do the show twice a week, Wednesdays and Sundays. Other episodes, I'll either have uh, fellow fight fans on, and we just talk about whatever happens to come, you know, come across the table, or um, or myself. It's just me solo yelling out the window at things. Uh, not a lot of current. Well, sometimes I yell about current hockey, about the state of current hockey. But we always do like a player spotlight or go back and look at old enforcers, old school stuff. If you're an old school fight fan, this is a podcast for you. Uh, believe me, you'll you'll find something you dig in the back episodes, and I and I greatly appreciate the fact that you're here. As I always say, I know there's a million podcasts out there. Um, the fact that you chose to listen to mine, I it, I'm very humbled, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much, and I hope you I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you stick around and put me in your uh, regular podcasting schedule. But uh, I'll shut up. Let's get into this to talk to to Sean Penn. One of the baddest dudes to ever skate the ice in the IHL. And he tells some great stories. You guys will really dig it. And uh, thanks, everybody. And I'll talk to you guys again on Sunday. All right, here we are in the fourth line voice. I have a special guest tonight, folks. Uh, none other than Sean Penn. Sean, how you doing tonight? Good, Darren. How are you, buddy? Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you for coming on. Um, well, like I was saying before we get going, before we got going, it's like, you know, with these, we kind of like to, I like to timeline the guy's career and we'll kind of go over all the different teams and the leagues and coaches and teammates and opponents and all that stuff. But, uh, well, I guess we got to start right at the beginning. Uh, where were you born and raised and where did you play your minor hockey? So uh, I'm born and raised in a suburb just outside Detroit, handful of miles, you know, five, 10 miles outside of Detroit called Madison Heights, Michigan. Um, not a hockey hotbed. It's a very small city, four square miles, but suburban. Um, minor league hockey, I just played in the, in, in the greater Detroit area. None of the AAA stuff that you probably hear about now, none of the Caesars and the Compuers, none of that. I just played basic. I was just just a kid that played every sport, football, baseball, and basketball, and just anything re- revolving around being an athlete I tried to do, and hockey was just one of the things that I started when I was probably four. Yeah, well, and like just kind of looking at your at your stats here and and your uh, and your timeline, um, it says here when you're so you go and play in the North American the NAHL with the Kalamazoo Junior Wings um, at 18. At that point, was it in your mind to play this? And because you went on obviously to University of Miami, Ohio, but like was that the goal to go to, like get a scholarship, or did you look into any OHL things or anything like that? No, the goal really wasn't either of those. I just wanted to play as long as I could, really. I was a late bloomer, um, so I wasn't all that big. I wasn't highly recruited or anything like that. And the uh, same for not playing AAA. It wasn't, hockey wasn't my life. Um, so OHL was never, never even a consideration. I would have got killed as a 15 or 16 or 17-year-old doing something like that. Uh, like I said, I played high school football, baseball, and basketball. Our high school did not have a hockey team, um, so I played travel. It allowed me to be able to play all three sports for the school. I turned down uh, football and baseball scholarships to take a shot at, at playing hockey. They were small schools, and I, you know, I just couldn't see myself playing 
football at some small school banging my head around all i i loved football for it, but i didn't like it that much now i'd have played at the university of michigan if i was good enough but yeah. i wasn't going to play at a small school um you know we had a ton of ton of players in the detroit area and at the time the north american league was in the same level as the uhl you know now i know it's different you know how it's kind of the ushl is number one and the north the nall's kind of the second at the time in the 80s and the early 90s they were the same level so much so that the three best teams from each league would play each other in a junior a uh national championship so um back then going to the null wasn't a big deal but we had so many teams i think michigan had like six or seven teams in the null and those teams had no money didn't get a ton of fans so it was easily to just recruit locally from some of the kids at the local rinks so i I played midget double a i think as a junior in high school and 10 kids from my team just got randomly selected by junior teams most of them got were drafted by the junior red wings and somehow i was drafted by CompuWare. Um, I went to their camp my senior year in high school. You know, they knew I played football. They knew I played baseball and basketball, and, you know, they drafted me anyway, and I went and played junior B my senior year, which was fine by me because at the junior B level, nobody cared if you missed a, you missed for a, for a Friday night football game or if you had a basketball game on a Tuesday. So it was the best of both worlds for me. I was just kind of still just kind of jacking around playing every sport I could. Compuware uh, called me up a couple times, played a handful of games with uh, some of the guys that were there that ended up going to the NHL, Jimmy Storm, um, Ralston. But those guys were the year or so after. But Storm was there, a uh, couple older. Oh, they had a huge older team. So uh, Mike Nodler was there. I think his son's at Michigan State right now. Um, just just guys that seemed like they were 100 years old. I played maybe five to ten games back then. Went back. Graduated from high school, turned down these football offers. I uh, was going to go to Western Michigan with some of my buddies. My mom was a teacher, so big, big, uh, big family for going to school. My parents were seventeen and twenty-one when I was born, and they both ended up with college degrees. So not going to not going to college wasn't an option in our family. So I was going to go to Western with a bunch of my buddies and. And maybe walk on, maybe not. I don't know. I really didn't, wasn't into it. I was six foot, 180 pounds. Nobody was calling me. So I asked Andy Wiedenbach, the coach at Compuware, if he'd trade me to Kalamazoo. And he said, why? I said, well, I'm going to go to Western. He said, so you, there's no chance you'd play here. And I'm like, nope, I'll be in Kalamazoo. So they made a trade for me there. I thought I was on the team. I remember calling the coach who was Paul Picard, played in the NHL, just a tough son of a bitch, like hated him with a passion until I grew up and realized how good he was to me and how much he taught me and how much of a man I became on the ice from him. Um, tons of respect, but at the time I, I, I didn't see it or understand it. Called him and asked him if I should get a job or what time we were going to practice. And he was like, how about you come to camp and make the team? I was like, Holy, wow. I just thought I was already on the team. So that was, that was kind of my first awakening to, wow, this is different than just youth hockey in Michigan. You know, went to camp and it was a typical null camp. There were got a couple hundred kids in camp and they were they were everywhere. Fights everywhere. I'd never really fought. I fought in high school at a at a party or something once in a blue moon. And I fought a couple times and I just remember Gord Franti, uh monster, six six, return he was already committed to Western. He was coaching our bench. 
and there was a kid with a half shield running around and he's like somebody better do something about this guy and i was like all right whatever so i went out and beat up this kid i don't even remember his name beat up this kid and camp completely changed for me and then i made the team and played in the NAW for two two years and thought i'd still go to western almost still went to western but uh had two good years with with a lot of good Division One college guys that Kalamazoo year. We won. We got knocked out in the championship game uh, nationals the second year, but we had a really good team. The first year we had a team that Lindros was on copy. Where Pat Peak, Ralston. I mean, they had three or four first rounders on that team alone, uh, and we got to play them twenty five times or something. So I was just that was kind of my junior it, career. What was it like playing Lindros? At that, at sixteen-year-old Eric Lindros, at that time, he was huge, and he, we didn't fight like you know the. I mean, I wore a full cage through because I just stood in front of the net on the power play, and just took a beating. Only a few guys wore half shields, not many. Um, I, I believe he was even wearing a full shield, but he was six five or six six then, two twenty five, and just steamrolled guys. And we were probably the second best team in the in the, in the North American League that year, and we would lose. Eight to three, and he'd score five goals. Yeah. So he was uh, he was only there only there half the year because he was it was the year he was holding out from the sewer or whatever that was, and yeah, he was gonna go to Michigan. So he he came to play for Compuware for the first half of the year because he was gonna go play for Red Baronson at Michigan for the second semester, and then that fell through, and then they worked out the thing in the O, and then he he, he was gone. So he was only there half a year but some of my two of my buddies from high school played on that copyware team so uh you know pat peak was one of them uh so he i mean he was a dominant force uh and there was nothing we could do to stop him he just walked all over everybody there so but uh playing junior was fun first time i'd been on bus trips had our own locker room um had a coach who played in the nhl talked about fighting we just didn't fight in that league and like i said i wore a full cage the whole time just because it was kind of a hack and whack league with no fighting so oh so you guys couldn't fight in that league at that time okay no yeah it wasn't like the oh i mean it was almost similar to college if you did fight you were gone that game and the next game it just it was physical and there'd be a couple of fights here and there i mean i'd probably in two years maybe fought three or four times but i mean you're fighting with full cages on and there's suspensions involved so it was pretty much a non-fight league um, back then, I think it's still similar to that in the USHL and the NAW. Um, I don't follow it much. My kids are baseball player. Both my kids play college baseball. Um, so I'm not really in that scene any longer, but I think there's still non-fight leagues. Yeah. I mean, I think they, it's like everything in junior A. I think, uh, I know for a while, actually the NA, I know the NA actually, there was, they, they got a bunch of fighting going in that league and everyone with half visors and all that. But then I think everything sort of tightened up here in the last little while. And yeah, not, it's pretty much back to not really fighting there. I think there's like a three fight limit now and shit. So yeah, it's, uh, right. yeah. But, uh, well, like you said, after your second year there in the, in the, in the NA, uh, you know, you, like you said, you guys, you know, you you won the championship of the league, and then you know you're in the championship there, and you, and you lost the semis. But um, and then you you end up at uh, Miami of Ohio. Um, uh, how did that? Uh, were you uh, did you have a did you have a bunch of offers after your second year, or was it uh, how did that work out? No, it was kind of a weird kind of weird go round. I, I really fully intended them just playing at Western if I could make the team. I, my first year with the with the Came, uh, the, the junior K-Wings, I uh, I lived in the dorms with my buddy from high school. 
uh, just figuring, God, I'm going here. I'll play on the team next year. So played junior. A couple of the guys lived on my floor that were on the hockey team. Um, Pete Wilkinson was on our team, and his dad was Bill Wilkinson was the head coach at Western. So I know Bill personally from going to his house for dinner, him coming to our games to watch his son. He literally never said one word to me about playing for Western. So I was kind of pretty depressed. I didn't know what to do. I thought he'd at least, you know, invite me on as a walk-on, and he never mentioned a word to me. So I de-enrolled from Western Michigan. I did my homework on the NCAA. My parents and I did the did the homework on the NCAA transfer rules and all this. So the second year in Kalamazoo, I lived in an apartment. Same buddies, guys I met at, in the dorms and one of my buddies from high school. And I lived in an apartment, and I took part-time classes at Kalamazoo Valley Community College. What that allowed me to do is it burned another year of eligibility. So you have five years to play four years. I burned one year playing junior, and I was burning a second year playing junior, but I was able to transfer anywhere the next year and not sit out a third year because I was only a part-time student. Looking back at it, we probably could have petitioned the NCAA, but at that time, I was when I when I was leaving Miami, I was she's twenty three years old. I'd already graduated, had plenty of extra credits, and it was just time time to get on with my life. Um, so. I, I, I went back to Kalamazoo, had another good year. Actually, Western started recruiting me pretty heavily, coming to watch us at practice. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to get an offer here. Uh, most of my offers were D3 schools, to be honest. And I, you know, a lot of our guys went to Wisconsin, Stevens Point. They were three time national champions. Mazzolini was the coach uh, who ended up at Miami the year after me. And I just, it was similar to the football thing. I just didn't want to play Division three hockey. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, a lot of my friends played it. It's super high caliber. I just figured if I, I still really wasn't in love with the, the idea or even the thought of playing pro, I really didn't even know what it took to play at the college level. I just was watching a lot of guys on my team sign. I played with Knubel, who played at Michigan and then, you know, had a great career in the NHL. Um, so we had a lot of guys turning D1, and I just was like, man, I'm going to do this. I really wouldn't mind playing at a big school with a big fan base. So Western, I started talking to back backstep one time. I, I ran into Bill Wilkinson, um, and he, had, he, he said, I'll see you at tryouts, and I told him that I had de-enrolled at, at, and was going to Kalamazoo Valley, and he was surprised, and I just couldn't believe that he – was surprised because he made no interest, showed no interest in me whatsoever. So they did the next year, started recruiting me. Um, the, 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 the day I was going to the rink to commit to Western non-scholarship, you know, committed walk on, basically have a spot on the team, but there's no money left type of thing, which I wasn't surprised at. Um, the, the, uh, the morning I was headed over there to talk to Coach Wilkinson and commit, uh, Steve Miller, who's a big name in USA hockey now, he's, uh, I think he's still the, the associate head coach at Ohio State, but he's been on some of the, the, the benches for the world junior teams, um, a couple national championships at Denver. So he called me. He was recruiting me super heavy at St. Mary's D3 in Minnesota. Just such a super nice guy. He called me and I just said, you know, Steve, I just, you know, I think I'm just going to commit to Western. I just really don't think I want to play Division Three hockey. And he said, well, you know, if you do, St. Mary's is a great place for you. 
but something's changed for me in my personal life. And I was like, oh, really, what's that? He said, um, I'm a full-time assistant at Miami of Ohio. And I was like, well, where the hell is Miami of Ohio? Never heard of them. He said, why don't you come and take a visit? I said, yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm not really interested. I'm committing to Western. So I went and I sat with Coach Wilkinson for, I don't know, for 20 minutes or so. We talked about, you know, the upcoming team and, you know, this and that and, you know, he congratulated me, and I stood up to shake his hand to leave, and he said, you know, it's going to be nice to have you on the team, but I'm pretty set for my top three lines for the next three or four years. And I was just like, what? How am I ever going to play? And I said, oh, okay, and I kind of pulled my hand back, and I was like, well, all right, let me think about it. You know, Miami had given me a call. I'm going to go take a trip down there. And so now I was panicked. I called Coach Miller and asked him if I could take the trip, and he did. he said, yeah. <laughs> And I went there, and it was the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. It was like Disneyland. It was, it's the, I don't know, if people listening, if you've never been on the campus of, of Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, you've got to make it a stop. It is, it's unbelievable. So I had a really good time with the guys on the team, and I committed to Miami and went there the next year. There you go. Well, and like you said, you played the, the three seasons there. The, the first couple of years, a little little tough to kind of adjust to the college game, though. You know, it was just because, uh, I mean, in your third year, you know, you played all 38 games, 20 goals, all that. But, you know, leading up to that, you had seven games, eight games. Uh, was it was it get, was it it tough to get it? Obviously, it was tough to get in the lineup there. It was. It, it, you know, I, I wasn't really a great fit there. I wasn't a good skater. Um, I was a non-scholarship guy the first couple of years. You're kind of, you kind of look back at it and you try to realize what, you know, what the problem was. You know, I, I think being a mature guy now, um, you know, I don't know, maybe I didn't have the best attitude. Maybe I wasn't the best teammate because I felt I should be playing. You know, um, I'm a big alumni. I go back every year. The school means a lot to me. My teammates mean a lot to me. But the first two years were a tough go. I felt I should be in the lineup. thought I could help the team. Um, guys in front of me that I, you know, at the time didn't agree with them playing in front of me were scholarship guys. You know, I was probably looking at excuses. I thought I worked hard. I was a big, strong guy, but I wasn't a great skater. And, you know, if someone was already filling that role, uh, then they didn't need me. So then the last year we graduated a couple guys. Brian Savage turned pro a year early, opened up another another forward spot, and I cracked the lineup and led the team in goals and played in every single game. And, God, it was – I think – Thankfully, it worked out because, man, I had such a blast playing at that level. And, you know, Gwazdecki was the coach, and he finally gave me an opportunity. And, you know, it, it paid off for everybody. So, um, but, yeah, it was it was difficult not playing. I don't know if I had to change my style or anything. I've always played the exact same way. I play physical, not a great skater, uh, decent hands, decent shot, kind of know where to be. But uh, physical physical play was usually the majority of it so well like you said you played the, th- the three seasons there so in like so 93 94 you played 38 games at 20 goals and at that point like you said i guess you had graduated at that point correct because you had taken the early uh yeah 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 i had enough yeah when i when i left when i was done i was done yeah i had graduated and kind of slow rolled my last year and i had some extra credits and, uh, you know, so I did the, 
I, d- I essentially did the four years of school in four and a half years, basically, because five years time-wise, but four and a half of school because the one year I was part-time at Kalamazoo Valley. So I, I, I did about a four and a half academic stint over a five-year period um, and played three years of, of NCAA hockey, I guess you could say. Yeah. We could have petitioned, I think, now looking back, I probably could have gotten one of the two years back, but Guaz was leaving. We were graduating a ton of guys. Um, at the time, he wasn't my favorite coach because it took him three years to finally realize that that's tough to play me. Um, you know, maybe that's my fault. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But at the time, I was kind of like, hey, I wouldn't mind getting out of here. And I'd already been offered a, a tryout with with Edmonton Edmonton's camp. So I was like, why would I try to come back and have another year now? Looking back, I don't know if it would have changed my career at all, but, man, I would love to have another year of college hockey. It would have been fun. Well, like so, you're, you're, you, so you said you graduate, you're 22, you got the offer from the Oilers. Um, how, how, did that, uh, how did that camp go, and uh, what, what was that like to walk into an NHL camp? It was unbelievable. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I grew up watching the Red Wings, but I didn't know anybody really that played pro. I had really no experience of it. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I was just just coming off finally getting a good feeling what it feels like to play on a, a college hockey team. So I went to the rookie camp middle of the summer. I did pretty well. I thought I didn't fight anybody. Just played physical. Scored a few goals came back to the main camp. It was the lockout year, and that was when they were talking about potentially um, guys paying their own way, and Edmonton was one that said, you know, we're still going to have camp. We're still going to pay everybody's flight here. So I had, uh, so I went back. It was in Banff, believe it or not, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is my first taste of professional hockey. <laughs> Banff, you know, Kelly Buckberger's the captain. He's talking about taking – only one skate because he's got a tee time. I'm like, what is going on? But, you know, us guys, I think I was like number number 71 or something. So I, <laughs> I, was, I was on the ice multiple times in a day. Um, it was – Edmonton wasn't a great team. Um, I'm trying to think of who the coach was at the time. Not Kevin George, Lowe, George the other Burnett. Lowe. George Burnett and Ron Lowe. What, well, yeah, yeah, Ron Lowe. Ron Lowe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Glenn Sather was still there. It was a guy who used to work at run our camp, run our strength program at Miami for one year. Um, he had helped get, kind of get me get me to camp. So Glenn Sather just knew cause I bounced like two summers in college, and and I just I met Glenn Sather one time on the golf course in Banff, and he said, "Oh, you're the bouncer from Detroit." I'm like. Well, I guess so, but you know, I don't know what they expected from me. I didn't fight a ton in college. I didn't fight a ton in junior. I didn't I think I had one fight in in their whole camp, and it was I think it was with Ian Herbers, and it was kind of a slap fest. It was nothing. I had no idea what I was doing. Now, flash forward, you know, four or five years later, Ian Herbers wouldn't come wouldn't come near me. But uh, at the time, no one knew who I was. I didn't fight. I had no idea I could do it. I could tell you that the rookie camp, one of the first plays in the scrimmage, I think I was playing right wing. They drew it back to the D-man. It was Dennis Bombi. He fumbled the puck, and I completely steamrolled him. Just blew him up. Helmet off, everything. I get the puck, make a pass, we score. Completely show him off. He wants to kill me. 
I have no idea who Dennis Bombi is at the time. <laughs> have no idea why he's so mad. But thank goodness I was like, I'm not getting into this guy. He would have killed me. But again, flash forward four or five years later, he's the guy that I would partner up with, you know, any, any given night. That was our job. But I can remember, so right after I wouldn't fight him, but they kind of broke it up. And I just was like, what's this guy's problem? Thank God he would have destroyed me. Um, Claude Jutras ended up fighting him. They had another, and Claude actually got the best of him that time. So he fought him again. And Dennis wanted to fight him again, and finally Low kicked both of them off the ice. And then I ended up playing with Claude a couple of years later at Long Beach, which is kind of a funny story. I just remember that. Thank goodness I wasn't willing to step in. He would have destroyed me back then. So I had a pretty good camp. I was still trying to play hockey. I didn't know anything about my abilities to fight at all. I just knew that I could play physical and play the body and after the rookie camp, they, they brought me back to main camp so they could see me maybe fitting in, in Cape Breton, getting an opportunity to get to the Oilers, and it just didn't pan out. I don't know. I just, you know, I don't think I was ready to play at that level at all. And so they released me and I headed on home. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, uh, you know, how did you end up in Toledo? And so you played the season in Toledo in the East Coast League. Uh, how did you end up there? Uh, so when I was done, I went home from, from Edmonton, kind of didn't know what I was going to do. Was, you know, I had an agent, but it was one of those agents that, you know, dealt with guys in the coast. And he said, Toledo's looking for for somebody. And I think it was like the third game of the season. And I drove up the morning, the morning of, and uh, it was an hour, it's only an hour and a half drive from Detroit. I signed with Toledo, scored my first pro goal in my first pro game and spent roughly two seasons there. And, uh, met my wife there and learned some of the skills that I took through the rest of my career all came out of playing in Toledo, to be honest. Well, yeah, well let's talk about those skills. Um, yeah, so your first <laughs> year, uh, it's 94-95. You roll up into Toledo, up into the old barn there. Um, before we get into the whole the ambiance of the Toledo barn that we, I want to talk to you yeah. about, um, I mean, you guys have a, you know, it, it's Toledo, so, I mean, you obviously you you know, you got a, you got a tough team. And, uh, but what, how did the, like you said, you didn't really fight growing up or in junior and college or anything. And now all of a sudden, um, you know, here you are, you show, you, you play 63, 63 games, you end up with 208 minutes, 13 fights. Was it sort of like, I guess it was more just on the job training for you at that point. Like, did anybody sort of like, show you anything like I'm sure like you had like a bunch of tough guys there but like how did that what clicked to make you all of a sudden like okay I guess I have to fight so we had a guy that was kind of the assistant coach so his name was Tom Warden um big dude he was he would dress occasionally but he was on the bench most of the time I really liked him he would practice with us so Greg Pawlowski was our head coach. Chief was our head coach. It was his first year as a head coach. The year before, he was a player with essentially our whole team. Uh, I was only one of a couple rookies. Everyone else was returning players, which was, t- which was very difficult for Chief because these guys were his teammates the year before and they'd won the championship with McSorley. So, um, he was getting a lot of on the job training because 
you know, he was trying to earn respects of guys that he used to play with coming off of a championship team. So it was, it was difficult. So we had a good team. We lost a couple of guys to the American League and so on and so forth. And then Warden, I guess Warden and Chief played club hockey at Ohio University. I guess you could graduate from, you could graduate from a Canadian university and go to an American university and still play on a club team. So these two guys were, were playing on a club team there. So, I played the same way in practice, the way same way I played in the game. I played very tough, very physical, not fighting wise, just physical. I worked hard. I took a, every drill in practice uh, like it was a game, and you don't do that in the pros. You kind of take it easy. You don't hack and whack the best player. I had no idea who the best player was, and turned out to be Rick Judson, a good friend of mine now, good guy, American guy. I remember him from college, but. Uh, you know, I'm hacking and whacking this guy in a drill, and Ward wants to fight me. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're on the same team. And I got to know Tom, and he just said, if you're going to play that way, you're going to have to learn to fight a little bit. And then I fought a couple weeks into my first, probably my first uh, first couple weeks there. I actually fought a guy that I'd gotten to know at camp. He was in Wheeling, ended up in Wheeling, but he was in Edmonton, Garen Smith. Um and I, I, I didn't do very well. I, you know, I threw a handful of punches. I tried to hold on. I ended up with a broken nose. Um, didn't, didn't, wasn't, wasn't a great fight. Uh, again, flash forward five years, Garen Smith wants nothing to do with me. Once I become a heavyweight, these guys don't come anywhere. And Garen definitely wasn't a heavyweight. He would fight him. Um, but he was a great light, heavier middleweight, uh, respected. I mean, he wasn't a super big guy and certainly tough, but you know, Three years later, I would have liked to see these guys again. So, only good thing that came out of that first fight was later that night, I ended up meeting my future wife, and I had two black guys and a broken nose, so my personality must have won her over. So, that was the only thing that I enjoyed out of that fight. So, I wore a shield for a couple weeks, and then uh, I don't even remember the, the timeline, but I ended up fighting Cam Brown somewhere in the middle of the season um, and did pretty good. And he, again, the thing about the, the the East Coast League was everybody fought, right? You know that. It's like everybody was a fighter, but not everyone was a heavyweight. I mean, these guys, they've been fighting for 10 years, but, you know, they're six foot, 190 pounds. Um, and I was a big guy by then. When I got out of Miami, I was 6'2", 225. I was benching 400 pounds. I was stronger than most people anywhere around hockey. I just was into, I was into weight training and, and, and I, was a, I had a football mentality. Um, and you play physical, you, you get attention. And I'd probably hit somebody and Cam Brown came after me. I didn't know who he was. So I fought him and did okay. He wanted to fight me again a couple weeks later and I did really well. And next thing you know, I'm, you know, everybody's fighting me. I'm a heavyweight. I'm, I'm designated as a heavyweight in the East Coast League. And like I said, the, 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 the good thing about it, which probably benefited me, was heavyweights in the East Coast League weren't that big. You know, you got guys like Trevor Sen, Andy Bezel. These guys fight a million times and they're tough as nails. They're just not that big. So when I, so I had the ability to kind of pull people around and throw heavy punches. I just, you know, threw as many. And the, the thing you can't plan for is how your body reacts to getting hit. And my face seemed to take punches just fine. I tried not to take them, but when they hit me, it didn't really impact me. I've never blacked out. I've never been knocked out. You don't know that until you get into a fight. So 
I still wanted to play. I was on the second line, maybe second or third line there. I was on the power play. You know, I scored you know a handful of goals. And the next year I came back, and I was like, man, I don't know how many years I want to do this. You know, I think I made 280 bucks a week. I'm like, man, I got a degree from Miami University. This is not, I don't know if this is the life for me. I said I'd give it a second year in Toledo. I mean, we had a team where, I mean, 10 guys scored 20 goals or something. So I had 20 goals in the coast. At that level, you can do that. But, you know, I think I had 20-something fights and, and 20 goals and started to get big-time noticed. Um, fan favorite in Toledo. I loved it there. Everything about Toledo I loved. It was close to home. Friends from high school would come up. My parents would come up. Um Everything about Toledo I loved except except the money and the fact that it was what I would consider like double A baseball at the time. Yeah. I guess I can stop there, see if you want to have any questions, we can pop oh, off yeah, some no, questions. It was, uh you know, like you said, but just and some of the barns that you would tra- that, you know, in that league and, and, and some of the guys, I mean, uh you know, you gotta go to Wheeling and Dayton, of course, well and then famously Johnstown famous for slap shot of course and like what was it like to play oh, yeah. the war memorial and just kind of because i mean obviously you had seen slap shot you know all about it but what was it like just the first time you're there to to just to go through the just to be in that town and go through the rink and stuff it was pretty cool i mean everybody knew slap shot it's really about the only thing i knew about pro hockey other than just having season tickets to the wings when we were when i was younger but um it was cool it was a cool arena um uh, i mean I wasn't shocked that much by it because, I mean, our home, our home rink was, was in Toledo. Um, that was a shocker for me walking into Toledo the first time. I mean, I, I got there on just, just prior to game time for my first game. They probably played three. I don't even know if I had, I'm not even sure. Oh, you know, I, I did have my name tag on the back of my jersey. So they knew enough ahead of time that day that I was coming. But I mean, you could smoke in the rink back then. Yeah. I mean, the locker room. I mean, we had a pretty nice locker room at Miami, not like they have now. The barn we played at Miami is nowhere near the, the monstrosity they have now and being a top top 20 program every year uh, now, which, you know, I'm so proud of. But the rink in Toledo, the, bar, the, the locker room in Toledo was terrible. It was so small. There was The guys would smoke in the back half where Scotty would do the sharpening. I wasn't a smoker. Coming from a small city, athletic high school, the smokers went outside and smoked between classes. That was a huge no-no. I was nobody really smoked in my family, so to see, see people smoking in the rink during the games and see my teammates who look older than my dad smoking in the back room between periods absolutely blew my mind. So um, that was interesting meeting a lot of those characters. So when you got to a Johnstown. And a Dayton, I loved it. I just loved how close the fans were. Um, you know, obviously in Toledo, they liked me in Dayton and the other places they didn't. Um, I mean, Wheeling was a kind of a, wasn't really a barn. It was kind of like a, an arena. So that wasn't, that there wasn't much to talk about there other than the fact that you just knew you were going to these towns where the sun didn't shine very often. You know, dreary, eerie. I don't know if it's ever been sunny in any time I've ever been there. Yeah, like so it was just like, did you, did you ever get involved with any? Like speaking of slap shot, like I mean, I mean, like you said, no small. T- they, I mean, those fans are there to drink fifty cent drafts and see some tilts. I mean, and there's uh, like I've had guys on the show and they talk about like 
getting singed in Toledo with cigarettes and stuff and going into the crowd popping guys. And did you ever have any fan interactions? Not really. I'll be honest. I, I mean, traditionally the only stuff that I got would be the Sean Penn jokes. You know, the, after the second round we'd come in, they'd, How's Madonna? They'd have signs about Madonna, Spicoli signs, just just silly nonsense like that. I I had a pretty good run of not a not a not not having any fan interaction. Now Toledo was probably one of the worst places for fan interaction for opposing teams because you have to kind of walk up the stairs through to the locker room. So being being a home fan favorite at one of the, probably the worst worst places to be an opponent was great so you know that was cool i love the fact that the fans sat there you know i would kind of shoot the breeze with the guys that sat at the end next to the end of the bench and the penalty box i mean you, you essentially were sitting in somebody's seat which was great you joke guys would offer you nachos and hot dogs and stuff but uh you know I, I didn't enjoy fighting to be honest i wanted to play more hockey um but to, to, to get to the next level, I had to do it. I mean, I just played physical, so no matter what was going to happen, people were going to come after me. So I, I just luckily was two things. Luckily, I was strong enough to hold guys off if I was potentially going to lose. I threw a pretty hard punch. I threw it as often as I could, and my face took a punch. So, And at that level, I was able to still play a regular shift. So I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. But uh, the attention it got from the fans was great number one so you know you the most autographs requested or the most jerseys bought or the goalie the top scorer and the tough guy so uh the two years i was in toledo i was probably the heavyweight and we'd had several guys come in and out that either kind of backed me up or were light heavyweights um but to be to still be on the power play and chief you know would give me plenty of ice time uh was was was, was good um and then, you know, bus trips were crazy, right? So they don't buy, you know, the bus isn't big enough for everyone to have a bed. So only all the rookies are in the front. They have to sit down or sleep kind of leaning on each other uh, or on the floor. There's, I don't know, six or 12, nine bunks. I can't remember exactly how many. All rec- all, all reserved for for veterans. And then the back room where in Toledo we would play the Sega Golf um, skin game. So, and uh, being a guy that protected all the veterans, I started to realize how many favors you got. So I would get a bunk from somebody who didn't like to sleep, a veteran who had a bunk didn't like to sleep. I was allowed in the back to play the skins games. Uh, no other rookies were. So uh, I started to realize all the, the benefits you got from being, uh, being the heavyweight or being a tough guy. There you go. Well, speaking of some of the guys you rode the bus with, I'll just throw a few names at you. Uh, you got Jerry St. Cyr, uh, Norm Dezane, oh, uh, Diesel, Mark Deasley. You got any? Yep. Uh, obviously, you remember these guys. Are there any uh, any stories with them? I remember picking Jerry up in, in, in Erie when we traded for him. I mean, this guy was straight out of slap shot. He he played in Erie against us that night, and then after the game, he walked onto our bus. He had a cowboy hat on. He had that sexy mustache. He had some cowboy boots. I was like, who is this freaking guy? So, and then I'd heard he was kind of 
he was dating Manel Rayom, who he ended up marrying, and they had a son who went on to play goalie at Notre Dame. Um, but, man, he was – I mean, these guys have been around. These are the guys that I, I honestly felt like they were slapshot-type characters. Uh, Dees wasn't around much. He was there the year they won it, then he went to Springfield. I'd only played a handful of games with Beasley, and, and he really wasn't into it. It was kind of towards the end of his career, so he – he knew other people in Toledo. I don't even think he lived where we lived. Good guy, huge. Didn't really enjoy fighting. So even when he came, I was still doing the heavy lifting. He just was trying to make a bunch, score a bunch of goals and try to get back to the American League or somewhere. Um, Norm Bizet and Normie and BJ McPherson were like like Batman and Robin. Those two knuckleheads were were together all the time. I played two years with those guys. We had our battles in the locker room because my second year we had about ten. We had about 10 or 12 Americans and about 10 or 12 Canadians. So it always seemed like me and Normie and BJ were against each other because they were the, they were the stupid Canadians and we were the weak, weak Americans. So it was, uh, <laughs> but man, Normie was nice to have on our, uh, on a team because he, he was a small guy. He flew like the wind and hit like a truck. And he certainly had no problem sticking anybody. So he would stir shit up when we needed it. And anytime a heavy went after him, I just got involved. But man, anyone who wouldn't fight me, he'd just go piss pound them. So it was fun to have those guys around. And it was my first really interaction with, you know, I had a bunch of Canadian guys on, on my college teams, but they were, they acted more like Americans because they came from like junior B and they were turned, they were playing college hockey. Now these guys were OHL guys. They've been fighting for six or seven years since they were 15 or 16. And, you know, growing up in small farm towns, drinking underage, not that we didn't do it also, but not like they did, you know, it was just, you know, typical, probably, probably how you were as a kid there. Yeah. <laughs> just, typical Western that was new to me. That was, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of that Western, was new, Sask- that was a new culture to me. Well, speaking of Western, Saskatchewan, Sask- a former Blade that uh, he played. Uh, he was only nineteen at the time. He played thirteen games. Big kid, big tough kid. Rhett Trombley. Yeah, I knew you were going to say Rhett. Rhett was an interesting guy. He uh, he was big. Yeah, he was a big dude, and he uh, he fought his way through the East Coast League real quick. So when he was there, I was. Uh, more of a mentor type thing because I'd already done it for two years. Um, but he fought everybody and he did pretty good. And McSorley had always, McSorley always had his eye on our team. He was in Vegas now, so he won a couple championships in Toledo and then promoted to the IHL, if you will. And he, he was in Vegas and he was going to keep a tough team. So we had Potomsky, he had Poto up there. And then he was watching us and uh, I don't know, some, Poto might even have got called up to, uh, to the Kings, and he needed a tough guy. So he, Rhett wasn't with us very long. Um, I'll say I think Rhett and I met later in our careers, and I don't think he enjoyed fighting as much. I probably played 10, 15 games against him, and we never fought. So if I played against you and, and more than three or four games and we didn't fight, there's a good chance that I'd asked you to fight or it just didn't make sense in the game um, yeah. versus not fighting a guy. Um, and I think once I had gotten to the IHL and had a reputation, I was a different guy than people remember me from the coast. So Rhett and I had never fought. Um, I always had other guys in the team that were, I don't want to say easier, but guys that we always had other heavyweights that were a better option for people to fight than me, I guess is how I would say it without disrespecting anybody. No one's afraid of anybody. Everybody respects 
everybody that does that job, but I always felt certain guys would say no to me and then fight two minutes later against somebody else on my team. Also a heavyweight, but just not me, so for whatever reason. All right. Um, well, another name, okay, we, we're just, uh, we're, we're back here. I had to take a quick break here, folks, but we're back. Um, uh, well, we're talking about Rhett Trombley, but another <laughs> another name that's it's popped up, and he played everywhere, and it was much in the Doug, the Thug Smith kind of type of thing. He, he played six games in Toledo with you the second year you were there. Ron Aubrey. <laughs> I already know what you're going to say. Yeah. I was going to say, I know exactly, I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, uh, I didn't, certainly didn't hang out with them. Um, like I said, that second year I had, uh, I had a ton of Americans on the team, ton of college guys. So we kind of, we had our crew of Americans and college guys that hung out together. Um, we all lived obviously in the same apartment complex. That's how it works on the coast. Bob's came out of nowhere and he was a heavyweight. But nobody wanted to fight him in the coast because he was a freaking maniac, right? This guy, you couldn't trust the, anything. He, you know, and I always thought, God, if he ever showed up and I had to fight him, what the hell would I do? You know, you have to do it when you have that job, but do you really want to do it? Because if you win, you got to fight him again. And if you say no, then he's going to stick you in the back of the ear. You know, you just, I just, he was an animal, but he was way past his ability to play. We had a pretty good team that year in Toledo. So I don't remember why we got him or how we got him, but he didn't stay very long. Um, we certainly, the coast was 95, 96. That was the kind of the turning point when, you know, the Rob Ray rule came in, the, the instigator rule came in, uh, the 10-game suspension for leaving the bench. They were cleaning up hockey. I see it now when I look excuse me, when I look back on it, but then I didn't know because I'd never played pro. Um, you know, in the 80s, every NHL team had five tough guys. You know what I mean? And then you get to the 94, 95, 96 season, and each team had two, maybe one, because salary cap, some of the fighting rules were changing that you see now, but you probably do. You know, a lot of the people listening may not even remember when there was no tie-down rule. There yeah. was no third man in. There was no 10-game suspension for leaving the bench to join a fight. There, you know, a lot of those weren't in there. So we weren't seeing the, the slap shot run around 50 fights in a game. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. We had a few of those, but we had – I feel like the hockey was better. So the fighting was there but less. Um, and that, to me, that's when I really took to the strategy of fighting. So, you know, Obbs was just, he, he could barely get a shift in, right? He was, he was completely useless unless he fought. And we had five guys in our team that could fight, but actually could play a shift and had, you know, I mean, we had six 20 goal scorers on that team and four guys, four of those six were guys that could fight. So, you know, guys like that just were, fewer and, and farther between playing at that level. And now we would occasionally see a guy like him get called up to other teams when we came into town, but they wouldn't be there very long. They came from the United League where I feel like, you know, like, what's his name? Kevin Holiday. I met Kevin at camp one year and he, he had like 60 fights in a season. I'm like, oh, what the, well, you gotta be kidding me. So, um, guys, we, we, they would drag guys out of the United League for certain, certain games. They certainly weren't around for more than uh, a couple weekends. 
Well, you kind of mentioned the robbery thing and all that. Were you a jersey? Did you do anything to your jersey? Were you? An, did you have any like tearaway sleeves or anything like that, or goalie goalie cut jerseys or anything? Do you do any modifications in the coast? In the coast, I didn't. I really still didn't really consider myself just a fighter. Um, like I said, I had you know twenty goals that second year in the coast, thirteen or something, the fifteen the first year. So I still thought I could play. So I would get my 20 fights in just because it, it kind of found me or it needed to be done. But then when I went to the eye, I was, I was there for one reason. You know, I was the 10th forward, four shifts a game, two fights a game, fight out of the team's heavyweight. Um, and that, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to piss on that because that's how I got there, right? I knew what I had to do to get there. I took that role on. I mean, my first IHL camp was Chicago and, my first fight in camp was before the, before they dropped the puck. So they put center and I against each other um, in the first scrimmage, lined us up against each other, and we both were like, and I'd never fought Trevor Stone in the coast. Um, so I'm like, well, I feel like we know what we're doing here, right? So we fought before they even dropped the puck for the first scrimmage in, in, in the Wolves camp that year. So when I got there um, – I met probably the truest, truest heavyweight I've ever played with was Kerry Toporowski, and that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's, did com- that's coming. Yeah, Topper stories are coming. Yeah, he. So he he did the the Vaseline, and he did a lot of that stuff on his eyebrows, on his sleeves, and Chicago. I don't think they expected me to make the team. I was on a twenty five contract, twenty five day contract, and on another one, then a full contract. So. I was wearing somebody else's jersey from the year before who I think was tough and had the sleeves cut, just they were too short. Um, so I, I started just tucking them into my elbow pads a little bit. But I had a fight where I lost my jersey kind of came over my head one time, and I didn't like it. So when I became an actual fighter and I started to, to kind of study other guys think about who I'd be fighting that night I did start to do some jersey alterations but mine were the opposite the first day I would get to camp so each I know you know what a tie down looks like it's a square velcro piece it's got one button in the middle yep so what I would do is tie two more knots into it to shorten it and then I would have them sew four more buttons on the corner snap buttons so I would have five snap buttons plus the velcro and I would have double knots in it to shorten it so it would never come higher than my shoulders it was impossible to get it off my shoulders as far as it wouldn't get over my head i couldn't get it stuck um in long beach i wore an abbreviated goalie cut jersey that ended up getting getting a suspension for for me and uh the equipment manager um but i didn't tear anything away i never took my elbow pads off i tucked my sleeves into my elbow pads i didn't want to move i didn't want anything to move I wanted to know exactly what was going to happen in the fight. And, and, and just the way I held guys and as strong as I was, that seemed to be the best strategy for me. If you watch my fights, I'm always going on the offense. I'm never going backwards. And I'm just trying to reach with one hand and just start throwing bombs. Uh, I can go left-handed, but I was usually – I'm a predominantly right-handed guy. Very rarely did I get tied up where I had to go left. I could. I would fight left. I, I, I'd rather fight lefties, my right hand, against their left hand versus trying to match up to them. I would make them match up to me. I didn't do any of the Vaseline, any of that stuff, nothing on my – you know, none of the bullshit that you could try to hide on your knuckles. I just wanted 
to know that my elbow pads weren't coming off and that my jersey wasn't coming off. Um, that's pretty much how I handled the jersey thing. But I did wear an abbreviated goalie cut in Long Beach and took a suspension for it. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, I guess, like you said, at that point, they're trying to clean some shit up. But yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, before we kind of leave Toledo here and get into the eye, um, at that point, like you said, you, you, you didn't like fighting or you kind of, you know, whatever, you knew what you had to do. Um, the second year in Toledo, of course, you end up with, like, 24 tilts, so obviously you're kind of adapting more to it. Um, at any point, did you ever take any boxing or anything to kind of, like, okay, like, this is what I'm going to have, this is what I'm going to, what I have to do, I should maybe, like, train for it? Did you ever, did you ever do anything like that? The second year in Toledo, I took a little bit of boxing, um, and then in Chicago, uh, I did a lot of stuff with Al Secord. Um, you start, started strengthening different muscles for fighting. So he used to take the, almost like in, in, in Sylvester Stallone's arm wrestling movie, over the top, how he had that, how he had that pull down thing in the truck. I don't know if you remember that movie, mm-hmm. but, uh, that Al would do that with the, with the, with the pulley pull downs. He would kind of stand with his back to the thing, grab it, and he would put weights on it. He would throw punches with a pulley and kind of strengthen how hard he was throwing. So he had a weighted punch type of thing. So I started doing some stuff with that. I did some grappling stuff with him because he was really a clutch and grab guy because he wasn't the, the biggest guy in the NHL back then when he did all that fighting. So, and he was a lefty. So, so we would kind of, you know, I would learn how to throw left, left-handed a little bit more when I needed to, or if I had to get in trouble or if I needed to, you know, cross grip somebody or something like that. But my strategy really was just big, dumb athlete that, you know, weighed 225 pounds and could bench 400 plus pounds. That's basically it. I would grab, never let go. And just, I would prefer to break a knuckle and punch a guy in the helmet than take a punch to the face. So I just kept throwing, even if it hit the helmet, I was knocking guys off balance and I could shake them around and, it was hard for guys to get back to feeling comfortable before I hit them again, and that seemed to be a strategy that, that 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 worked for me. I never wanted to be backing up. Like you'll never see a fight where we go out to center ice and I'm backing backing up. I'm always going forward, forcing them to back up. Um, well, that was about it. Yeah, I well, I want to get yeah, I want to talk to you about your tech because I watched a bunch of your fights before I talked to you here. Uh, like I said the other day, I said yeah, I'm going to do some research on you, so I went and watched your fight DVD, and uh, um, which is another thing, you were a video guy, clearly because you have your own fight DVD. But most guys didn't save their footage. I know you did. Uh, was that you that put that together, or did somebody put it together for you? Uh, somebody else put it together. You know, early in my career, I started. I would go at the end of the season or every couple months and I would kind of film them and save them. Um, cause I thought, God, if this is going to be a long career, I'm going to need to learn how to get better and learn what guys do against me. Um, so I had a nice little collection going shitty, shitty VHS coverage from some bad barns. Um, and then when I got to Long Beach, they, Long Beach is the last time that I had actually gotten. So from Long Beach after, most of my fights you are, are harder harder to find because Long Beach used this weird system to record games and to put it into VHS was pretty expensive at the time and shit I didn't make any money and I thought all right well God I'm four years in now what do I need to learn you know I'll just watch other people's fights and so but uh, I'd met a guy 
similar to your interest in fighting. He's a cop in, 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 in Michigan who was one of those fight trade guys. And I met him somewhere. Um, and he asked me if I had any fights. And so I gave him everything I had. And he, he ended up, ha- he ended up making that, that, that DVD. I had nothing to do with that. Nah. Okay. I might actually have some of your Fort Wayne and some Utah stuff for you if you want to see it. But, uh, uh, God, I'd love it. Yeah, I'll get that. We'll talk. Anything about that's it. anything that's not anything that's not online that's from Long Beach, Utah, or Fort Wayne, I'd love to have because yeah. I just I can't find it. Just I stopped after the third year of kind of collecting my own. Yeah, no, I'll uh, yeah, we'll talk off air here. Um, but uh, a few names before we leave because I got to ask you, obviously, the East Coast League because these guys are kind of like some minor league, uh, some some legendary names that people will know out there that you tangled with. Um, the first one, and he's sort of synonymous. I, I think he actually ended up getting banned from the East Coast League. Um, was, was the guy they called <laughs> Scary Gary, Gary Koopel. Um, I know you fought him a couple times. Um, actually, I think that was one of the fights I think that I watched where your jersey got caught. Was that the fight you were talking about, or was that the Ganyon? No, his that was the Ganyon fight. His jersey, his jersey came off, and uh, yes. you know, I'm. I didn't like it. I would have certainly not appreciated Rob Roy, uh, Rob Ray's technique. Um, I know he wasn't. I've read stories about him. He was the biggest guy, but it's, it's it's a pretty unfair advantage when that happens. So you know, if you don't have anything to grab onto, you, you know. So, but yeah, that, Gary's jersey came off. We were in Columbus with the he was with the chill. We kind of went off uh, into the corner and. Yep. Again, the coast was not the coast was a good run for me because I was bigger. You know, I was bigger and stronger. You know, Gary was six foot, two hundred pounds, one hundred ninety pounds. I did really well against those guys that were kind of stepping up just because they fought everybody. And he's a crazy, willing combatant. But I was just so much bigger and stronger than guys that that I really actually enjoyed fighting those. Uh, Chris Rollins, another guy, he was like one hundred seventy five pounds, but he had Fifty something majors the year, and yeah. well, like you said, they, the just, one, weren't, the guy that you they actually, just weren't strong enough. Well, I know the one guy that you fought, uh, Cam Brown. You fought him a bunch of times, and I mean, he was. Uh, yeah, I mean, he played forever in the East Coast League. Um, yeah, I, should, yeah, I don't know if he's the all-time penalty minute leader or not. He's got to be close. Um, but Probably, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. you fought well, again, him four, he's, four or five times. Do you have? Was it a, a personal thing, or was it just just playing? No, hard not that's the, just the way I, it happened. I feel like the first two times it was for him, I think we kind of just, like I said, he really flipped the switch on me becoming a, a, a known name, if you will, in the East Coast League. And he's same one of those guys. He's built like Koopal. He's built like Chris Rowland. I mean, he's six one, six foot, under 200 pounds. Um, and those those guys fit perfectly into into how how I fought. Um, we kind of bumped into each other, had a push. I kind of pushed him, and shit, I didn't know who he was and did okay the first time. And if you do, you do okay or better against Cam Brown, you're fighting him again. So then I fought him again and did even better. And next thing you know, I'm a heavyweight in the East Coast League. So, no, it was just one of those things. For me, it was it – was, I feel like he always wanted to, to, a rematch with me. For me, I just was kind of answering the call when he was kind of pissed off, basically. 
Well, another fight that's online for those listening that if you want to check it out <laughs> against the guy that he he bounced around the East Coast League for a while was a tough guy. Um, and you guys actually, it was a really good fight. Was Brock Woods? Oh yeah, he's a lefty. We fought twice. Um, man, I was not happy the first time I fought him. I had a big swing and a miss. Um, I can picture it right along the board. I, he, he had lost his grip on me and I had a huge wind up swing and a miss. And then the refs came in and then the refs backed out and he threw a left punch that cut me pretty bad. Um, I wasn't very happy about it. So I fought him again in wheel, in wheeling, but, uh, Gosh, you're describing every guy that's built the exact same way. Six foot, six one, buck ninety, which is and the coast was great because when you get to the eye, I mean I was fighting six guys, six I was Kyle Fredericks was six seven, two hundred and seventy pounds. That's a that's a whole freaking different story. But oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. that was the that the coast was fun. I, I didn't have to fight the biggest guys. They were crazy and they were great fighters, but they just they weren't the biggest guys, and I was still scoring 20 goals. So, <laughs> so the coast was actually a pretty fun time, minus the $500 a week I made in riding shitty bus rides. So I knew <laughs> I couldn't do that for much longer. I knew that career was not going to play, play out very long. Well, one name I have to do ask, I have to ask you about in the East Coast League, and he certainly wasn't small, um, and uh, you know, and definitely a, a character in his own right, um, was, was the late Brandon Christian. Uh, I knew you were going to say him. I knew you were going to say him. Yeah. Man, he's a guy that I just did not want to fight. He was big. He was huge. Um, We fought one time. It wasn't really much. We both threw a couple handful of punches. Nobody really landed anything. And I pretty much think he picked me up and suplexed me, basically, into the the boards and then landed on top of me. Um, He didn't play a lot, which was good. You know, I could certainly – for me – being on, a, I don't even know if it was a second line at that time, second year when I had all those goals. I could say no um, if it made sense, right? And I had no problem. I didn't consider my, I wasn't afraid of anybody. I would fight anybody. But for me, it had to make sense um, for the game, for the sport, for the integrity of the game. And those things were in our barn. If we're down to nothing, I'm fighting somebody. In their barn, Right off the get-go, I'll try to fight somebody if, if if they're starting to put stuff on us. Somebody does anything to our team, I'm the first guy in there. But I had no problem saying no um, to guys that that you know. Uh, if it was the wrong time in the game, I'd be like, "Listen, hey, we're we're up one nothing in your barn. Nothing. You go do something stupid, and I'll fight you." So they'd go chop somebody. We'd get a power play, and then I'd fight them. So they'd get their wish, but we'd get a power play. So I really took a lot of pride in and making sure that it didn't hurt the team. Um, and I respected guys when they said they couldn't, whether it be coach said no, shoulder, I would never disrespect anybody. But I had to – so there's a fight of a guy who ended up being a good friend of mine, Mick Lakota. So there's a fight uh Mick and I, and we literally go around almost the whole rink talking, and he's telling me he can't fight, he's got a bad hand. And I said, okay, but – we're going to stand here and I'm going to shake you a little bit with the Jersey because everybody in the building has to know that I asked you to fight and you said no. And then he's okay with that until we get to the blue line and he's like, fuck that. We're going. So then we end up going and, you know, I give it to him pretty good that day. And uh, he ends up being my teammate the next year and we became pretty good friends. But 
I wanted to make, I wouldn't disrespect you, but I had to make sure that everybody knew the reason we didn't fight wasn't because I didn't want to. It's because you couldn't for some reason. So uh, it's, uh, it's, that was kind of my thing. Fair fight as much as it could be all the time. And it had to be right for the team and for me. I mean, what, I maybe 200 times I fought, maybe five times it was because I was actually mad at somebody. The rest was just a freaking job. Well, I might. This name might get you mad because on your fight card, I lie, it's, it just says unfair, <laughs> and I don't know what that means. I don't know what happened, but I've had guys on this show that hate this guy, and they've talked about him. And uh, and he, again, East Coast played actually hell, had a hell of a career, uh, but Jerome Bouchard. <laughs> stay out of you. Stay out of my yard, Bouchard. Stay out of my yard, Bouchard. Yeah. yeah. Did not like him. I'll be honest. Um, God, I've seen some video of him as a coach now. I think I, if we were ever on the same team, I think he would have been a guy I freaking loved. Um, I just didn't. Um, probably being naive because fuck, he was pretty good, man. He was a captain. He played a ton. What's he want? Eh, and he was right in that same size that I talk about. He. He doesn't want to fight a guy like me, and I could respect that. He didn't want to, but he still played. He played a way that you still have to. If you're going to play that way, even in the coast, you have to answer the bell to the heavyweights eventually. And he just, he didn't. But I don't know him, so he probably did when he was younger. It was probably just naivety on my point, not knowing what he'd been through, because I got to a point at the end of my career where I was like, no, I played 15 games in the Central League on a knee a knee injury rehab, and I'm like, I'm not fighting Wade Brookbank uh, in the freaking in San Antonio in the, the CHL. I'm like, no thanks, bro. I'm I'm 30 years old. I'm down here rehabbing my knee. I'm not fighting you. Like so, but I didn't play. I didn't play the way wade would come after me wade wanted to fight me because of who i was right so he went on to be he went on to be a freaking huge name in the nhl but bouchard just played the way where you just wanted to you just wanted to have i just wanted to fight him fair and it it just never happened so i jumped him a couple times but i i felt it was well deserved and when i say i jumped the guy i didn't sucker him i jumped him but i didn't hurt him you know i didn't it was pillow punches but i you know I would never sucker a guy, but I wasn't letting him get. I think I fought the only chant I got at him. I think I had like 30 or 40 of my buddies in from high school in Toledo. I scored a hat trick and had three fights and was kicked out by the middle of the second period. And my third fight was jumping Jerome (laughs) turned into a bit of a melee, but I'd already had three fights or two fights prior and three goals. And it was like hat giveaway night. And there was like a, 2,000 painter hats on the ice. It's pretty funny. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't want to say I hated the guy because I didn't really know him. And I mean, I don't even, he's probably, he, he looked like he was 40 then. He probably wasn't because he's just one of those guys who've been around for a while. So yeah. I didn't walk in. Now I'm, I'm 51 years old now. So I look back at it and I, I wasn't, I had not walked in his shoes. So what I feel about him now, even though I haven't seen him or talked to him ever, it's probably different than I did then. I just kind of, yeah, yeah, you're right. He, a lot of guys didn't like him. So, no, uh, but, no. Yeah. Um, 
Well, the, like you said, the following year you end up with the uh, the Chicago Wolves in the IHL. Um, and I, as, as a, fa- I was always a big fan of the IHL. It was a good veteran league, and you know, a lot. And I mean, tough league for sure. A lot of tough guys. Obviously, every team had guys. Um, you know, but but um, ju- just what was that step like up for you from the East Coast League up to the IHL? So we had a guy who was an assistant coach the second year in Toledo, Chuck Inbergia, and he became the assistant GM in Chicago. And he was an American guy, and he knew, I think he was like the GM in Greensboro the year before he came to Toledo, and they either won it or something. So he knew everybody from a player standpoint. You know, he was he was that guy that he, he was just a GM guy, right? He knew everyone. He was a talker. So we brought him to Toledo, I assume, to help you know, pick up the right personnel. So he went to Chicago as assistant GM and he really took a liking to the way I played. And Grant Mulvey was the GM head coach in, in Chicago. So they brought me in on a tryout. Um, and I knew immediately what my role was going to be there. I looked around the room and God, we had Rob Brown, Steve Malte, Denny Felsner, Kip Miller, two of the greatest American college hockey players ever probably ruined their career by being on the third line with me in Chicago. I'm like, I turned to both of them. I'm like, Dude, you guys are you guys are on the third line in the IHL, and I'm on your line. This isn't looking good for you guys. But uh, Kip ended up getting back to the NHL. But we had Wendell Young. Troy Murray was our captain. Jeez, Gord Donnelly, Robert Dirk. I mean, so many NHL guys yeah. in there. And I knew that I was going there strictly, strictly to be a heavyweight. Um, and like I said, like I said, we brought a bunch of tough guys to camp. I think even um, Trevor Sent, who I'd seen in, in in the coast, but we didn't play Richmond a lot. And when we did, I fought Goulash one day, Gowdy the next day. Um, God, I beat up the one guy who scored all the goals, um, who shouldn't have been fighting me, but he did. But, and Center always was fighting somebody else. So the two assistant coaches had us on the very first day of the scrimmage. So you go first day, you do drills get off the ice, go to lunch, do some other stuff, come back out, scrimmage. And we're on opposite teams, and the two guys think it's funny to have us line up against each other. So, you know, we're like, dude, obviously we know what we're doing out here. So he's like, hey, you want to take your helmet off? Helmet's off? And I was like, well, not really. (laughs) you got a pretty hard head, and I don't think I have a hard head, but okay. So we took our helmets off, and we went at it before we even started the first scrimmage of the freaking camp. Um, and you know, center bless his heart, how hard he fought and how many guys he beat up. He just, he's five, nine, 165 pounds. We went to lunch after he said, I was the first guy that ever cut him. Um, I just was bigger and stronger. So I had a really good camp, fought a bunch of times in camp, fought a bunch of guys in the, in the preseason and they signed me to a 25 game tryout, then another one. Then I stayed the whole year and then. At that point, all the heavyweights on that, or heavyweight, all the tough guys on that team were in their 30s. Gord Donnelly, Robert Dirk, none of those guys wanted to do it anymore. The only two that wanted to do it because we had to were me and Topper. And, and he was a nice guy to have as a teammate. So really for me, it wasn't not much changed other than the fact that I didn't play as much. Uh, I was playing with much better players. My check was much bigger. The fans were the, the the stadiums were much nicer. The fans, a lot more fans, um, but the guys that were fighting were professionals. They were they were professional fighters. Uh, 
you know, I think I fought Mike McWilliam in like the first two or three games, took a suspension because I came off the bench to fight him, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was, it was NHL, NHL style, uh, hockey, uh, as far as fighting. You very rarely did you fight three times, a lot of times, not even twice. Um, you'd still get your 30 or 40 in, but it just wouldn't be every single night. Um, and you had, equal sized partners on your team that would do it. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't um, like, uh, it wasn't the East coast. Like if you know what I mean, where just yeah. everybody fought here, it was just, Role, it was just roles the big boys fought each defined. other. Roles were clearly defined at this point. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. And I loved it, man. Chicago was awesome. Maltz was great. Rob Brown was great. My roommate on the road was Phil Bork. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy's got Stanley cup ring. He's, he flipped his stick over to use the tip in a shootout. Yeah. You know, and, and Bob Johnson said, nice move. Don't ever do it again, Phil. You know, I, I learned so much from Phil Bork. What a good dude. And he still does color commentating for Pittsburgh. But and those are the guys I was hanging out with. You know, I'd go out to dinner and be me, Phil Bork, and Troy Murray. I'm like, what am I hanging out with these NHL legends for? So I was only 25, but I was probably the youngest guy on the team or one of the youngest guys on the team. Um, so I loved it. It was, I was like, I'm, I need to stay here or I'm done playing hockey. I'm going to get a job. So that was, well, that was it, my goal. It's funny. Like you said, with Rob Brown and Maltese there, like those guys were like, those two tore that league up. They were like the oh, Gretzky. Yeah, they had Curry 300 the points IHL. between them. It's unbelievable. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Like, um, yeah. Well, and like you said, Gord Donnelly was there and uh, well, he got there later, came from Houston. Um, you know, like you said, veteran yeah. guy, 34, been through the wars. Um, how, how was he with you? Did he ever show you anything or, you know, was he, was he pretty cool? He was, he was willing to, we would do a little bit of stuff, but again, I was, I was mostly dealing with Al Secord. Uh, so those guys, you know, I remember Gord had a son who was probably four or five at the time, right? You know, I'm not married. Yeah. Um, my, my, my girlfriend that I met in Toledo, who's now my wife still 25 years later, she, we, we, she was living with me, but you know, Gord would bring his son to the rink and we're like, Hey, going to McDonald's later. And he's like, Oh, come on guys. Now I got to take him to McDonald's. So he was, he was trying to get out of there. You know, it was the end of his rink. He, he fought a hand a couple of times when he needed to, he was happy that he didn't have to do it. And I was happy to uh, be there. So he didn't have to, I was, I was going the other way in my career. Me and Topper were going the other way. And him and Robert Dirk and those guys were, they were there if we needed four or five guys to fight, which rarely, but sometimes we, it was very clear that I was there to make sure nobody touched Maltz and Brownie and a couple other guys. And those guys didn't have to do it. So, uh, I had a pretty good relationship there. Um, Grant Mulvey loved me. I loved playing for Grant Mulvey. He was an old school NHL Blackhawks guy. So, I, if we were blowing a team out, he'd be like, "Hey, no more fights. Let's, you know, try to be a player today." He was trying to turn me into a Darren McCarty uh, at the time. I don't know if I was even had the ability to be as good as Darren did, but he was a middleweight. I was a heavyweight, so there were some differences. But I remember Malvi, Grant Malvi would say, "You know, if you do this, you know, you, you can get a regular shift." And I worked with a power skating coach who's he's an assistant coach. Um, in Columbus now, uh, Kenny would work with me after you know, I'd practice and then I'd go back out and then I'd do stuff with, with Secord. And I was still in the gym because I wanted to be a big, strong guy without juicing, which was very prominent back then. That would be pretty rare never, back then. Yeah. 
I never did it, but the guys that I was fighting certainly look different from the year before quite often, but yep. uh, I don't judge them. doesn't bother me. It didn't, didn't impact me. It didn't hurt me, but um, so I, I spent a lot of time on the ice working on other shit, even just simple chips off the boards, take, getting it off the just stupid shit. I was always trying to get better and didn't necessarily always work. I, I just wanted to play more than two or three shifts a game and occasionally it would happen, but you know, it's it's not a fun job, to be honest. Um, no, I imagine especially if you, like the anxiety level, and it's like you know you got to go and yeah. you know who's coming up, and you know it's stuff like that. Yo, for sure, it's like I always say, it's the hardest job in sports, you know, or at least in hockey. I mean, That's... it's like like the the mindset that you have to have, and just the like you said, the anxiety level, and um, well, not only the physical pain, but like the mental issue. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's it'd be like I said for for anybody out there. I always like refer, refer kind of relate it to say you're in high school and at nine o'clock the bully wants to fight you and he's like, okay at three o'clock in the park we're gonna fight. How do you feel that whole yeah. day going up to that knowing you got to go fight the toughest guy? Well, that's what you guys went through. Yeah, when you, yeah, I mean that's ugh, <laughs> you know it's like I, I think everybody I mean, that, listening can relate to that. If they never were an enforcer, they can relate to what I just said about the three o'clock high thing, right? So, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I've heard like I think Kelly, Kelly chases. He's very open about how much he didn't like the role. Um, the book, the code, tells a lot about it. I, I, I'm a strong believer in that book and some of those things. Um, Honor among thieves. I really liked that. Most guys were pretty honest. Um, in the coast, I didn't think about it much because I played a regular shift, and it was usually something that just happened. Um, something happened in that game, or occasionally we'd know X, X team was coming to the barn, and they were going to have a bunch of dummies, and we just knew that we were all going to fight. In the eye, that first year with Topper was really the first year that anxiety hit because you knew the night before who you were probably going to fight. This was pretty much the beginning of the internet and Topper was, I mean, this guy had a beautiful baby girl. He is a super successful financial planner, uh, right now. Yep. And he was an absolute nut. Yep. He was completely crazy, completely crazy, but one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet off the ice. And he took it very serious. And that's where I learned a lot of it. He would come in and he would, bring in the, 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 the box scores that he would get off the IHL.com. No video, because none of the stuff was live. You'd get a few from, like, Orlando who had, you know, past sports or whatever, but he would bring box scores in, and he'd be like, well, we're probably not fighting so-and-so because he fought twice last night. And I'm like, oh, sweet. So him and I would get the score. We would get the lineup. We would see who was new in the lineup. We would see – who fought the night before based on box scores that he would print off on his home printer. And we would sit in the corner and discuss who's coming, who'd they bring up? What's this guy do? What do I know about him? What does he know about him? Is he right-handed? Is he left-handed? Blah, blah, blah. And that's where I really learned that, man, if you don't want to get hurt, you got to, you got to pay attention to what you're doing here. It's, it's a whole different level when you get up to here when you're, you're fighting men and big, 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 big guys. Um, and that their job's the same as yours. Um, so being with Topper and having a guy like that, it was great. And God, thank God I never played against him because you beat him, you're fighting three more times and maybe a fourth time in the parking lot because that guy was crazy, did not like to lose, and he was awesome. 
but uh, just such a good human being and taught me a lot about, I mean, fighting. To, I mean, I, I mean, I heard the stories of him getting five or six hundred minutes in the in the, in the dub, and I'm yes, just like, did. you yeah. could see it. You yeah, could like, see him lose his mind. Oh yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I've, yeah, the videos are all out there and stuff. And I mean, like I said, I've had guys in the show, and like they just said, it was like a different animal, man. Like just the switch would turn. And yeah, it's like his eyes would just go black, and it was just like it wasn't like he was there, yeah. man. It was like you know, Jekyll and Hyde, but yeah. I mean, I had Steve Adams on my show and, uh, he was telling the story about with top playing against Toporowski and, and he, he goes, you know, it was an icing or something. And, you know, they're going back to the other end for the face off and he, him and Topper at the back. And he kind of turns around he's kind of in front of Topper a little bit. And he's like, yeah, Hey, you know, carry a, uh, I remember you from the Western league or something, big fan of Topper goes, Oh yeah, really? And he took a stick blade and jammed it straight into his mouth. And pulled it out. Oh my God. And he goes, how he didn't knock all my teeth out, I'll never know. But he goes, nobody saw yeah. it. He goes, but he cut my entire mouth out like I looked like the Joker. And he just skated to the bench and was just like... I mean, he goes, oh, he did that now. They'd probably ban you for life. But no one saw it. There was no penalty. He just yeah. went to the bench and he's bleeding all over. And their coaches are like, what did you do? And he goes, I just said I was a fan. They're like, you don't talk to him. He is. You know? You're like... Just, he is just a different breed man but off the ice he was married his daughter was maybe two or three just adorable and you're seeing this guy bring her to the rink in a stroller and then that night he would just two-hand somebody over the top of their head he just i don't i feel like i got to know him that year and i had nothing i didn't know shit about him like i just felt like you know we were friends because we were we were partners for that year but the next year had i been on the other team he had a chop chop my teeth out but you, you would just see him obviously not the best skater uh he was on our team for a reason and if a guy went wide on him and he pivot open and he couldn't catch him he would two-hand him across the wrist and we would just be like oh boy here we go and then <laughs> several fights would, would would go on after that so he was good at getting everything going oh, yeah. he was uh he was a diehard guy like if if Somebody, I had no problem. I would not even look over my shoulder if I knew he was on the ice. There was nobody jumping in uh, when he was around. But I credit him for me becoming more of a student of the game than being just a big, dumb American that happened to be stronger than most people. Um, and I started to really take it serious, and, and it allowed me to have you know four more years in the eye. Um, had a crack at the NHL, not uh, – Nothing ever happened, but I had some opportunity. But uh, most of that goes back to being his 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 running mate for a year. Well, in a couple of those fights there in your first season with the Eye, I mean, you talk about fighting men um, and some legends. Um, I'll just throw a couple names at you real quick, just if you got any quick thoughts on them. But I got to start with the Rammer, Bruce Ramsey. Oh yeah, God, he's great. I think I fought him five or six times. Jeez. Oh. Um, Again, he was he was good for me. He was right in that same build as Cam Brown and all those guys. He was six foot one ninety, but a maniac. He'd fight anybody. So for me, he was a fun fight. I mean, we had one good one where I think we both took a bunch of punches to the face, but uh, super respectful. I've talked to him since because he was an assistant in Grand Rapids where Knubel is, and Knubel's a buddy of mine. Um, so we had traded some texts back and forth uh, one time about maybe getting together for a drink. It never happened. Um, super respectful, respectful of him just because he would fight anybody all night, every night, bad hand, nothing. And he 
shit, he was 190 pounds soaking wet. But, uh, yeah, he was a career, you know, United League guy and then made a nice run in the, in, in the eye for a little while in Grand Rapids there. Yeah. Well, another guy, minor league legend, fought everyone forever. Him and his brother were nuts. Serge Robert. Yeah, God, I wish I had that fight over. I wish that was two years later. Topper and all those guys had me just had me in a mental pretzel on what that guy did as far as twisting of this, tying up this, crossing this. So I spent probably 45 seconds to a minute and a half of trying to make sure that I didn't make a move to hit him that would cost me three punches to the face. And I, I don't, I literally don't think I threw one punch. And, I, and two years later, I would have had a lot more confidence and I would have just, and again, he wasn't as big as me either. So it would have been one of those guys that fit right into the, the, the body type of the guys that I like to fight and had some, some better fights. If I had just kind of grabbed with one hand and teed off on him, I think it would have been a wholly different fight. Maybe I make a mistake and he clobbers me anyway, but at least I would have thrown punches. I, I didn't throw one, and I can't remember. Somebody on our team, oh, uh, Steve Gosselin, another frog, French guy, he was buddies with them and after, and I roomed with Steve a couple times when Borky was out, and uh, I'm like, I'm like, Goose, you talked to Serge? He's like, yeah, I go, what did he say? How fucking shitty am I as a fighter? I didn't throw a punch. He said, you're probably the strongest guy you ever fought. I'm like, well, I'm also the guy, only guy that's never taken a swing at him, too, in a two-minute fight. So uh, I got I got fooled into that one just because they were like, oh, don't let him do this. Don't do that. And I just didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to try to go lefty and then get pounded. I didn't want to... I spent most of my time just trying to think, Jesus Christ, what's this guy going to do? What's the wizard going to do next? And I literally did nothing but hold on for two minutes. So uh, that's one that I wish I had over just because I would do it differently. I think I, I, I feel like I disrespected myself. <laughs> Not that I was going to beat him up or anything. A hundred percent. Totally agree. I remember that fight like it was yesterday. I'm just like, you know, and I think if you can see the video, I think I got a somewhat of a fresh black eye from a fight a night or two before, so it's just kind of browning out, and I'm like, I am not going to make a mistake to try to be the aggressor on this guy. Me coming out of here without getting beat up by Sergio Bears is, is fine by me, so that's well, one I'd love to have over, just for fun. Well, the last one, actually, you fought him in a home-and-home home in, Orla- in Orlando, and then back home in Chicago. Oh, Dregs. Dregs. Love it. Actually, I just talked to him, too, on LinkedIn or something. Uh, oddly enough, I just can't remember. I think it is LinkedIn. We hooked up on something. I loved Barry as far as what he did. Um, the first time I fought him, I did really well, uh, cut him a bit. I actually hyperextended my elbow and then didn't finish the game. Um, and then he did much better the second time we went kind of face to face a handful of times. I even switched and went lefty a couple times on him, but that first fight was a good one for me. Kind of, I don't think he knew who I was. It was my first year in the eye. Um, he stayed lefty and I, I stayed righty and I think I did pretty good there. I know I cut him, but, uh, I ended up falling forward and hyperextending my arm. But yeah, I liked him. He was an honest guy. Couldn't say a bad thing about him. Um, never had a problem with him. Yeah. Drager was awesome. Um, well, that's uh, yeah. So that kind of wraps up Chicago. At the end of that uh, first season in the Eye in Chicago, um, well, the next year you go to Long Beach. Um, was there a reason not going back to Chicago, or uh, you know what? What? How'd you yeah. go to Long Beach? 
shitty timing, actually. I love Long Beach, but shitty timing. I would I probably would have spent my whole career in Chicago had it been a week's difference or a month difference. So we had such an NHL team and such a good team, and it was underperforming, and they fired uh, Grant Mulvey with like a month left in the season. Um, he was the GM and the coach, and they fired him, and they brought in a Finnish guy. It probably wasn't even a full month. So they brought in a Finnish guy, uh, and, and he, he, no, he no-shifted me the first time in my career. The only time in my whole career that I played a full game and didn't get a shift. And that was, that was not cool. Uh, every, Phil Bork went in his office, chewed him out. Alex Roberts was the assistant coach. He played at Michigan. Played at Toledo, I think, when they won those championships. He was a great guy to have as an assistant coach, and he's like Penner. I mean, that's what he thinks. Like, uh, I bet I, if I had to look back at the games, I bet you Topper wasn't even in the lineup. But I was in the lineup, but I didn't get a shift one game, and I was like, I am not going to re-sign here with this guy. Um, he ended up taking a puck in the face in practice and only coaching like three games. But they signed him for the next year. Elpo? And he just disappeared. He took – yeah, El, yeah, it is Elpo. Kuhonen, Suhonen, what was his name? Suhonen, yeah. 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 So, I mean, he was a nice enough guy to talk to, but he, I mean, he literally didn't talk to me. Like, when I dressed and didn't get, didn't get one shift. So, I don't know if you know that. You don't even get a, you don't even get credited for a game played if you don't get a shift, even if you're on the bench the whole time. You're basically the freaking third goalie. Um, so I was furious. Uh, Borky was furious. Uh, Muzz, Troy Murray was—they were not happy. But this is what that guy—that's what he thought of, you know, the style of play that w- should be played at that level. Uh, so, like I said, he took a puck in the face in practice and literally never came back. But he'd signed for the next year. So when he signed, I ended up signing with Long Beach, and he ended up reneging on his contract. And they brought in, um, God, what the hell is his name? Um, John Anderson. I never played. Yes, John Anderson. Never played for John, but talked to him the next year. And he was like, man, I would have loved to have you. And I'm like, man, if they would have signed you, I would have stayed. I would have stayed forever. Well, Mar- and they I knew won Marty the, Howe. And they won the, the championship. Yeah, they knocked us out in Long Beach in the semis. Um, and I played for Marty Howe in, 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 in Detroit in the, in, in the roller hockey. So Marty was the assistant. John's like, man, I, you know, he, they brought in a couple of other guys, uh, to be tough guys. And it just, they, they didn't have what they had me according to what they had said. And I, I loved it there. The fans loved me. I had a fan club. They had, they had the penalty, they spelt penalty with two ends and, I was very popular. Maltz and Brownie loved me because they didn't get hurt. Um, oh God, what's uh, Ken Sabarin used to chase those guys around. Once I joined the team, never touched them. So it was a little disappointing because I really, one thing about my career is I signed a one-year contract every year for a different reason somewhere else, and I would have loved to just stay somewhere. And Chicago would have been it. Uh, I, I loved it there. I loved the owners. But I just couldn't play for a guy who wasn't gonna who was gonna no, no shift me in a game. So it was just shitty timing, to be honest. But then I played roller hockey in L.A. Yep. for Mark Hardy, who played for the Kings forever. So Harpo was the coach 
who I absolutely loved. And he was the assistant coach in Long Beach, so I signed with them um, because of Harpo. And now, a message from our sponsors. NFL Sundays are only getting better, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, and point totals. I mean, right now, look at the FC East, guys. You know, the Bills, the Jets, Miami, it's a logjam. Is Kansas City still the team to beat? They're looking good. With bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is the go-to when betting on the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN and place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with the code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. Well, and like you, and well, and like you said, it's the IHL. I mean, so you know, you had kind of a, a veteran team. I mean, uh, you know, but one of the names I want to ask you about because this is unbelievable. I don't know if people remember this, but um, at the time, uh, Patrick Stefan, who ended up being the first oh, yeah. overall pick yeah. by the Atlanta Thrashers, yeah, but he played with you guys, and he was sixteen, seventeen, I think. He was a seventeen-year-old. Because yeah. you had to be 18 to be drafted into the NHL. And so, uh, Sergey Samsonov did that with the Vipers, too. Those are the only two guys I knew that did it. But, yeah, Patrick, was uh, he lived with a, a, a couple where the, the husband was a day trader. So he had a nice nice place. He lives in Detroit now, I think, or was for a while and was coaching Little Caesars. I never bothered to reach out to him. But um, he... He was a guy that hung around me a bit just because he knew that I would protect him on that team. We had somewhat of a tough team there, uh, mostly middle eight guys, but, uh, so I was the heavy. So, uh, but he was a good young kid. We didn't see him much, honestly. He'd come to the rink, did a lot of video game type of stuff. I can't remember. They roomed him with somebody so they could keep an eye on him on the road so he wasn't homesick. I can't remember if we had another Finnish guy or not. Or is he Finnish or sweet? He Finnish, isn't he? Czech Republic. I can't remember what he is. Czech, Czech that's it. So yeah. he, well, yeah, we had, yeah, he, I, he, I was just going to say he stayed with Patty. So he would ran, he would room with Patty on the road because of that. Yeah, I knew that's what it was. Um, yeah, good kid. Got super skilled. Uh, I, I personally was surprised he was the first overall pick, but I, I didn't know what I was watching probably. Uh, I was never a good judge of talent at a young age, but obviously he had a pretty good career. Yeah, well, it was. It's funny. You had a couple, a uh, couple. Uh, yeah, with the the old veteran there, Steve Finn, who played in the NHL for a long time, and you had and you had Claude yeah. Jutra there, and Mike Matucci. So yeah, you had a few guys. Uh, did you? I was gonna. Finner, you Finner didn't. Finner didn't fight at all. Finner no, didn't did you fight get along at all. He just got sent down. Part. Oh, great guy. Always has a smile on his face. Uh, how could you not be happy? He was making like 800 grand. He was on a one way. <laughs> We're making 60 or 70,000 a year. He's making 800 grand. The guy always had a smile on his face. Um, but super nice guy. I, you're, if you're telling me that he was tough when he was younger in his career, I didn't know that he didn't fight one time the whole time he was there, but he didn't want to be there. He was probably, that's probably one of his last years in his career. So he probably shut it down right after that. Cause I don't remember seeing him any years after that. No, Jutris was, was great. Was he was a good. Year. Yeah. 
that's what I thought. So he didn't. He was great guy to be around, just knowing that he played in the NHL for so long. Like I said, he was always smiling, um, but he was shutting it down. He didn't like Van Boxner. Uh, um, you know, a lot of guys didn't uh, on that team. Uh, but we had a veteran team, yeah. Jutris was there. He had kind of started to – I think this might have been one of his first shots in the eye. He spent most of his time in the in the coast. But he was a good running mate to have because he would fight the smaller guys um, that wouldn't fight me. No other heavies on the team. Matucci was, but he was an American. I played against him in college. He was a lot like me as far as big, strong kid, but he wasn't a heavyweight. He was too good. He was a top two D-man. I mean, he was either a two or three D-man. We didn't need him fighting except when we needed a third or fourth fight, basically. He didn't. He could have been a heavyweight, but he didn't need to be. He was a much better player than that, but uh, big, strong American kid. Or he might even be Canadian, but he played, he was, he, he's a college kid, so I kind of think he's from good. BC, but yeah, he's a college guy. Um, yeah, yeah, he played at Lake State. Yeah, well, just going through, and this this year, um, uh, yeah, you had, uh, I'm just scroll looking at your fight card here. Yeah, you had 24 tilts. Um, but, oh, man, there's some names on here. And a guy that... Yeah, uh, that was my probably my best year for fighting big-name NHL guys. Yeah. And then, so I went from fighting... I, I, my best fights in the coast were guys that weighed about a buck 90 that fought everybody. And then in the eye, my best fights were guys that were NHL guys, to be honest. I did pretty well against big-name guys. Well, the first guy uh, was going to ask Louis DeBrusque. Yeah, it was, well, it was Moose Morissette. Yeah, God, Moose. He's the only guy that I don't think I ever really did well against. Uh, I think I fought him twice. One fight was I don't remember much about. It was kind of a nothing, a couple punches back and forth. The one fight uh, I remember vividly, we uh, we decided to go off. So I used to ride to the rink. So I lived on the beach, and just a couple blocks down from me was uh, Stefan Moran, and they were good buddies. So they had played together in – the eye in Minnesota before they went to Manitoba. So, so Moose and Stefan were good friends and that's who I would ride to the rink with was Stefan. So I, I knew everything about Moose as far as what a good guy he was, an honest guy. And then a good friend of mine, Rob Valcivic, uh, who actually works for me now, still to this day lives by me and has worked, uh, in medical device sales with me for probably the last 10 years. He was on that team in Houston. So he, he, he would tell me about Moose. But so that night, we agreed to go and we both threw one punch and both landed. So if you're a, if you're a right-handed fighter fighting another right-hander, you usually take that punch to the left side of your face, right? So it's usually your left cheek or your left eye gets cut or swollen. So we had both turned completely into each other that we both hit the opposite sides of our face. So I, I don't even, I might have hit his left side, but his, he hit the right side of my face and I took a knuckle right on the eyeball, um, completely black. So I immediately knew something was in trouble. I grabbed Don and said, Moose, I'm done. And he said, what? And I said, I'm done. I can't see. He said, okay. So we each threw one punch. I wish I had that fight on video because that's the year that I stopped kind of reviewing them. Um, but I knew something was wrong. He went to the, he went, he went to the penalty box. I went directly to the locker room. He had told the people in the locker <laughs> in the penalty box, I can never beat this guy. And apparently he had a black eye. I never saw it because I went to the hospital and had surgery the next day for a um, orbital blowout because my eyeball had gone backwards. And then it 
the slot of your orbit goes down, so you, your your eye never goes back into your brain, right? It goes kind of down into the, the, the into the skull of the face, and it broke that little plastic piece there. So a couple of days later, I had surgery by the guy who, if you remember the Rodney King fights, uh, riots when the, the yeah. The truck driver, Reginald Denny, when he was dragged out of his truck and was beaten and they had that, uh, that concrete brick dropped on his face. So the, so the famous surgeon that had redid re- all the, the reconstruction on Reginald Denny actually did my eye. Um, so that moose is just one that I felt like I just never did well. Um, I had heard he thought he didn't do well against me, but <laughs> I got a scar to show that and then some weak vision in part of my eye, but uh, I, I respected him. He was fucking big. He was yeah, big and mean, yeah, but was. honest. Well, like you said, he was one, like we were talking about juice, right? Like he's one of those guys, right? And because uh, he's openly admitted that he did. And uh, yeah, I yeah. figured he was, but I didn't. I don't know him. I wouldn't accuse anybody. But yeah. there's about five guys that I'm. I'm pretty sure they were, and he was probably he was one of them. Uh, he ended up in the American League after that, so I never saw him again. Never played against him again. Thank God. <laughs> well, well, coming like like you said, something like an injury like that. So when you come back, like I'm just looking at it. So it would have been in Long Beach, November 14th. That fight happened. Then the next time you fight is December 21st. You fight La Puma. Again, so, I was just going to say Chris La Puma. Yeah. Well, there's another guy. So that's not an easy welcome back either. Are you at that point? Do you want to get right back at it to test it? Or are you a little gun shy at this point? Like uh, with your eye. Actually, that was unintentional. I was still wearing a visor. La Puma had no idea who I was. So I don't know how long he'd been in San Antonio. And, again, he's one of those guys, if memory serves me, he's not that big. So he fit right into the guys that I that I did really well against, 6'1", 200 pounds. And I, I think I was still rolling 6'2", 225, in good shape, but not juicing. But I was wearing a visor. So I was out a couple weeks. So what you said, November 14th to December something. So, I mean, December I was barely 21st. out a month. Yeah. I was bare, I was barely out a month from full blown orbital surgery. No. Yep. So I didn't realize that I, I was surprised that I was, I was, wasn't out longer. I had no idea it was that short, but I wore a visor. So I had to get back in the lineup. So I wore a visor, uh, with full intentions of not fighting with a visor on and somehow Pooms and I got tied up in front of the net and, and he started chirping me about don't play like that if you have a visor on take take your visor off call me all these names and i was like what are you talking about like i'm only wearing this because i just had surgery and he just kept at it so i ended up fighting him and i did pretty well and i remember the assistant coach in san antonio i knew um from the coast and he was telling me after he's like they're like he's like who the fuck was that guy and they're like, what do you mean? You don't you don't know Penner? He's like, I don't know who that is. He's like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, how come no one fucking told me who he was? And he's like, this guy's wearing a visor, and he's that big. I think he's some Euro guy who can't fight. So the next thing you know, and I kind of kind of gave it to him pretty good, but I was wearing a visor, but he totally forced me into fighting. It was kind of comical for me after. Like the trainer's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I had no choice. The gloves were off. He was all over me. So, um but like I said, guys like that, names like that, I did pretty well against usually, like a Louis DeBrusque and a Kevin Sawyer. I did well against guys that had names that were big guys, so it was kind of fun. 
Darren Kimball. That's about the year. Kimball, too, yeah. I remember fighting him a couple times, I think. Um, yeah, exactly. Guys that had been in the NHL that were down for whatever reason um, maybe didn't really want to do the fighting anymore, maybe not. Maybe didn't really know who I was other than maybe just see that I had three or 300 minutes or someone said, you know, Penner's got 25 majors, watch him, big guy, big strong guy, whatever. But uh, that that year in Long Beach, I feel like I really became a household name with everybody. So it was fun. We had a good team. I loved playing at the beach. Um, so Long Beach was a pretty good experience. Well, I got one more guy I got to ask you about before we leave Long Beach, and he's uh, – one of those kind of wingnut guys uh, that would come and go up and down from the U-Haul up to the eye. Uh, he was playing in Vegas. Oh, Wagner. Three times. Wagner. I, I knew. Wagner. I yeah, knew. That's a big There deal. really wasn't much to it. There really wasn't much to those fights because he uh, he was too too big, right? Like he – I don't even know what his, what, what his go-to move was because he never really went toe-to-toe with me. He did a lot of clutching and grabbing, which I was surprised for a guy that big. Um, so we ended up doing a bunch of wrestling. I think I think in one video you see where I'm on the left wing or I'm on the right wing, and then Wagner comes out there to fight Jutris. So Jutris switches with me, and we drop the gloves immediately. And we, you know, pretty much go to a seat belt and. I was not going to monkey around with guys that seat belt. I would usually grab them, come just kind of flip them over my hip. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. It's we're going to wear down. I'm going to get suckered, or someone's going to do some sort of switch on me. So if I didn't like when we were tied up, I would just flip a guy over my freaking hip. But that happened to Wagner quite a bit. Um, he for, he was out there to fight Jutris, and 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 our team, you had to go through me to get the claw traditionally, which. I watched vividly when he was in Long Beach and I was in Utah. I'd have to go after him, and they had nobody else. Well, so the following year, so we're going into uh, 98, 99, and then you end up in Fort Wayne. Did um, What happened with Long Beach, and how did you end up in Fort Wayne? And did you go to a, you were saying NHL, did you go to an NHL camp at this time? No, I almost did the year, uh, the next two years, I almost did. For we can get to those later. Why I didn't go, but um, no, I uh, I hit Steve Jakes in the playoffs in Kansas City, um, and they gave me a one game suspension for the roll of quarters. Yeah, I don't know if you know what that is. It's when you got your stick in your hand and you st- you're kind of just holding your hand, your stick in both hands, and you kind of still throw out the left-handed shooter. So it's basically the butt end of the stick and you throw a punch with it. Yeah. You're not hitting him with the butt end. You're punching him with the stick in your hand. So I we used to call it the roll of quarters. It's like punching somebody with a roll of quarters in your hand. So I had done that to Jake's and they ended up reviewing it and suspending me for one game in the playoffs. And then I never got back in the lineup. Uh, Boxy decided to keep the lineup the same. And then we ended up losing to Chicago the next round. And I asked for, I don't know, $10,000 raise to come back, and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't budge on my contract at all, but he gave Claude a raise. Um, and so I said, without this cost of living, I can't afford to live live in, in California for this kind of money. Um, and Grant Sonier was the coach in Fort Wayne, 
and Grant had talked to me all summer in roller hockey. He was the coach in Anaheim when I was in L.A., and that was our biggest rival. So I played a ton against Grant. He just I would run into him at the bar or uh, a tragically hip concert, and he would be like, you got to come to Fort Wayne to play for me. So then when I couldn't get a raise out of Boxy, I decided I was going to go to Fort Wayne. And then Van Boxmere actually would not release me, which was the first time. I mean, I'm a $50,000 holdout. It's kind of ridiculous to even talk about. I mean, we're middle-of-the-road paid guys. Uh, but that was when the NHL wanted to pay heavyweights eight hundred grand, and the IHL wanted to pay heavyweights 20000 and be 22 years old. So there's about 30 of us stuck in the middle that we couldn't get called up and we couldn't get a raise and everyone just shit on us. Um, so I actually agreed to sign with Fort Wayne, but I had to wait a certain amount of time for the rights that Boxy had for me to not be property of them anymore. So I went to camp in Fort Wayne, but I couldn't participate in camp because I was a holdout because Long Beach still had my rights. So then I ended up playing for Grant and, one of the best seasons I ever had because he played me and Gerard Gallant, who's a Detroit Red Wing legend, was our assistant coach. So I loved the Ford. It was a lot like Toledo. I was a Midwest guy. So I hated, again, I hated leaving a team after one year, but it was just seemed like something happened every single year that forced me to leave after one year. Uh, did I, well, I know you played the, well, a bunch of the years in the I, and then that was it. Was there ever, did, did you ever talk to any AHL teams? No, never. No. That's interesting. Huh. No. I, uh, that, that year in Fort Wayne, I fought, like, I, I, I we discussed the fight with Mick Bacota earlier. Yeah. And George McPhee was at that game, probably 10 feet from where I kind of gave it to Mick. So there was discussions with my agent that, uh, they literally took, said, fax over his contract, pack a bag, and be ready to go to Washington. So I was finally getting my shot in the NHL because the only camp I had ever been to was before I had any inkling of what I was doing as a fighter. So I was trying to play, and obviously I couldn't play at that level. Um, and it was the Christmas rule where you couldn't—they couldn't make—couldn't uh, make transactions over Christmas. So I ended up not going to Washington. And then after the holidays, Tampa Bay decided they were going to send Enrico Ciccone to Grand Rapids. So then. Washington traded for Enrico Ciccone, and I never heard from him again. Yeah. Huh. Um, well, like you said, with Fort Wayne, I mean, you know, le- legendary, you know, minor league town, and, uh, you know, with the – and you guys had a tough team that year, like we were talking before we got going. You, you know, Robin Bawa, Dion Darling, Sean Selms, or Andre Waugh, um, you know uh, – <laughs> Well, and Gerard Gallant, your assistant coach, and uh, and I mean, and and just kind of scroll through your fight card. I mean, you fought a ton of guys that year, and like name guys. And, yeah. But uh, before we get into the fights, just uh, uh, what was it like? You know, I, like I remember Sean Selms are playing in the in the Western League here with Red Deer and and, and stuff like that. And um, you know, him and and Andre, like Andre Waugh had four hundred minutes that year, or he had three ninety five. Yeah. You had three hundred and eight. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, Wog, was he just like a snap show that year or what? No, Andre was one of those guys, uh, you've probably talked to him or you've heard of interviews with him. Dude, what a fun guy. But what yeah. uh, he was having some 
he was having some weird stuff going on then. He had, he was with Boston. They canned him. He was down on the coast. He was on a 25-game contract with us. Um, he just was kind of a squirrely, you know, French guy. Uh, always wanted to be fun. Yeah. He was a much better player than the rest of us as far as tough guys go. But he, he wasn't that tough, right? So And he knew it, and he didn't like it. So he was more than happy to let me take on the heavy, and then he'd fight somebody else. But he knew that he was a better player. He had a cannon for a shot, but he knew what mattered. Nobody, to get to the next level, nobody cared or even looked at how many times you fought or who you fought. So he was happy. He would fight anybody as far as, and I mean anyway, on the uh, uh, on the weight classes under him versus any Selmser would fight anybody weight classes above him. Selmser would fight literally the biggest guy in the building. Andre would would rather take the third guy and get his five, and then he'd he'd take a slap shot at the glass with the puck, get a ten, then he'd start a second fight on his way to the penalty box, and he'd get another ten. So. I liked Andre, and, and I really respect what he did in the NHL, but that year was very frustrating because he had 400 minutes and probably half the amount of majors that I had. Um, and, you know, he was you know, I was kind of his mentor type of thing. Um, you know, I remember when Dudley signed him, I'm like, well, dude, you're going to have to – I go, congratulations, man. He's like, yeah, but they're going to want me to fight. And I'm like, well, no shit. I mean, you know, he just – he was one of those guys that hadn't come to terms with it, um, which is hard for a lot of people, but he must have at some point because he had a hell of a career and got a Stanley Cup, and he was a fun guy. He was, uh, he was, a, he was a good guy to have in the fort because the jungle was crazy and the fans loved stirring it up, and, you know, we'd have, uh, you know, I, I'll have to send you this clip somebody sent me from the from us fight, playing the Vipers. It's about... 15 minutes long and there's a few goals here it was a comeback there's probably five fights and i mean i end up fighting bezo i get a five minute major that's it he ends up with two tens a game and two fives all from just this one little scrum uh, you know he ends up fighting bobby J. yeah bezo went after him i intercept bezo and have a good fight with andy he get, he ends up beating beating up Bobby Jay and Jeff Sargent, the goalie jumps on him, and then Pokey Reddick jumps in. It's just Andre knew how to get the magic minutes. <laughs> well, speaking of Bezo, yeah, like you said, you fought. What was it like playing him, though? Like, I, I've seen the videos. I've watched games. Like, he just, like, runs around. Like, you obviously had to be aware yeah. of where he was and just, like, and like he didn't get – it's like a Tasmanian devil almost. Um. I didn't have to be aware because he wasn't hitting me, but he would, he would run, he would run all the good players. Um, I found him frustrating. Uh, I met him in the summer. We used to, when he played with the Vipers, we would all skate, all the pros would skate together in the summer. And I, I wouldn't say I got to know him. We had some couple of conversations and he said he loved fighting, um, which I found the, the complete opposite for me. I didn't like it at all. It just, it was a job and I was good at it. Um, God, he would be a great teammate, uh, but he was frustrating to play against because he would, size-wise, he could run anybody because it wasn't offensive, right? I run somebody, and they're too small. That's not cool. He could run anybody. He could run our best player. 
and he did a great job of when us when the big boys came to talk to him, he'd say, "No, I'm not fighting you." We're like, "Well, you can't, you can't, can't run around and acting like that if you're not going to fight us." And I'm not saying he was afraid to fight because he fought everybody, but he just kind of did a real nice job of when he felt like it. Um, and up until that time, I had never fought him, but I'd asked several times. And he'd frustrate you so much that he'd say no, and he'd run somebody again, and you'd go over there. Next thing you know, I've got a hooking penalty or a roughing penalty or a tripping penalty, and he's got nothing, and he got to run our best player, and I took a penalty, and then they won the power play. So he was really good at stirring shit up. <laughs> but, man, he would beat – he would piss off enough good players where he was able to beat the piss out of a lot of good guys that shouldn't have been fighting him. Um now, the fight I had with him, he certainly did not want to fight me or was not expecting to fight me. He went after Andre Wa. They don't show it on the tape there. Like, that's one fight that I could never find. But this John Emmons, who played in the NHL and was on this Vipers team, who's a friend of mine who lives here in Michigan, he sent me the clip because Emmons ends up getting in a fight with Deion Darling, and, and Emmons is not a fighter. Um, so he sent me this clip, and I kind of watched the whole thing. But I remember Bezo left the ice and then came back on the ice once Andre got onto the ice, like literally like mid-shift. Once he saw Andre was out there, Andy jumped on the ice and went straight after him. Somehow I intercepted there, and Andy dropped the gloves and didn't realize it was me. I, I cut him pretty good and swelled his eye pretty well shut, and he, he had no idea that he was fighting me when he turned around. It just kind of it turned into a melee after that. But that's the only time I fought him. He just... He just wasn't big enough to fight me. Well, and another guy, you know, he ended up, uh, you know, another minor league legend, uh, Frank the Animal by Lois. God, I, that's I, I thought I fought him. He was in India. Now, was, was, that, was yep. that that year in the fort? Yeah. I honestly don't remember anything about it. I remember that I thought I fought him, and I don't think I remember anything about the fight. Well, there you go. Well, another guy that was Indy with it's him. about one of the only ones. Well, another guy that was in Indy with him uh, who ended up having a hell of an NHL career was Ryan Vandenbush. Yeah, I I feel like I gave it pretty good to Bandy that year. Um, uh, he had just gotten sent there, and I recall asking him to fight, and he said he couldn't have had a bad hand, and then all of a sudden gloves were off. But he... He was that Bruce Ramsey-sized guy that I loved fighting. So, yeah, he had an unbelievable NHL career. So, uh, like I said, I did pretty well against guys like that. I mean, at that size and that level, nobody beats anybody up. But I feel like I did pretty good. and I feel like I I would say I got the better of Andy in that fight. Well, and another – I don't – like, I think he ended up fighting it one, one, two, three, five times. Uh, in, he was in Cleveland. Eric Levine. Did you have something Ooh, Eric with that guy? No, I no. I actually, it's almost like vanilla. I couldn't tell you anything about him, other than I've seen the fights on video. I, I honestly, I just think he was he was their resident guy, and I, and I was the resident guy there. I, literally, no, he was he wasn't dirty. He wasn't a mouthy guy. He didn't run anybody. I, I, I don't know why we fought so many times. Honestly, it's like vanilla. I like I said, I remember all of the fights because I've seen them on video, but I couldn't tell you really anything about why we fought. Um, and he was a lot like Wagner. We tied up a bit. He was a big, thick guy, and I would just flip him over my my hip when we were done. 
Yeah, well, and then of course we I we were talking off air about this, but of course I had to, I have to ask. Uh, yeah, and you end up fighting him a bunch of times. Uh, you fought him the first time in Long Beach. He was playing for Vegas, and you were in Long Beach. And then the next year, uh, he is in uh, uh, Michigan. Uh, was of course old Mad Mel Engelstad. Oh, Mel, yeah, uh, he was in Vegas. Wars, I thought he was man. in Orlando. Yeah, well, Kalamazoo and, and the Fort had some wars. It was uh, each team had a bunch of tough guys, but uh, God, Mel was. Mel was fun to fight because he would always say yes. He was honest and he liked to go toe to toe, which was good for me. I, 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 when I went toe to toe, I didn't take a lot of punches directly to the face. I did a decent job of pushing and pushing with the left and turning my face back. Um, but I always felt like I did really good against Mel. So it was a good fun battle that we had. And they were always usually just, Hey, Mel, you want to get something going? Yeah, sure. Um, I think I was telling you the story earlier. Um, I remember, gosh, I think we were, I think we were in Kalamazoo and I asked Mel to fight. I think we were down one to nothing or down a goal. And I asked Mel to fight and he said, yes. And I think I, I got the better of him, and the momentum changed. And then we were up maybe three, one. And then he asked me to fight and I was like, uh, all the same game. And I'm like, not now we're up three to one in our, in your barn, do something stupid. That was my, that was kind of my line. I'd be like, do something stupid and I'll be right there. And what I meant by that is go slash somebody or rough somebody. And then I'll, then you and I will fight once we have the power play. Um, and that was the end of it. And then Ken Hitchcock was the coach at the time. And then I remember seeing Mel a few weeks later in the fort and we were kind of lined up and he's like, you know, I really remember you saying, no, not at this time. He goes, man, Hitch really gave it to me after because he felt like that him accepting the fight with me changed the momentum of the game. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of took that as a badge of honor that, you know, my strategy of saying yes or no based on what time of the game was really, uh, really was impactful um, versus being considered a guy would say no, because I was afraid, but it certainly wasn't it. And then I just, you know, Mel and I kind of had a chuckle and I said, Mel, I just remember saying, Mel, you don't have to fight everybody every time they ask. Now, I don't know if he ever took that into consideration ever again, but I remember that pretty vividly, but uh, he was a fun guy to to, to fight because we kind of fought the same. We were about the same size. Um, and everybody I knew that knew him said he was a good dude. I don't think we'd ever met off the ice, but we always talked to each other on the ice, um, at least just in a somewhat friendly fashion before we went to, to, to battle. Yeah, I know Mel's a good guy. Yeah, he, you know, he's from Saskatoon here. And I've had the opportunity to you know, run into him a few times and, you know, and stuff. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, tough dude, man, had a hell of a career. Um, and he, and yeah. I don't know if he ever learned to say no. He didn't say no very often, I don't think. <laughs> probably um, not. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, no. uh, probably not. But I don't think that was, that's not why he did it. But, uh, I mean, I think he wanted more playing time like I did. We always, we always want, you know, I mean, if you're up five, I mean, I always like to be up around three, three nothing. Four nothing. I'd get some shifts. So if it was seven nothing, if it was one one or seven nothing, I'm not getting a lot of playing time. Uh, or or one, at one one or or two one, I'm not getting much playing time. At seven nothing, somebody's got to start something. Or whoever's barn it is, 
just getting blasted. So somebody's going to turn it into a gong show. So a lot of us, if you really kind of sat down and asked, depends, depends which side of it was you on. You're like, you know, God, I really wouldn't mind a few shifts here. We're going to sit all the good guys. We're going to play, play some shinny hockey, and someone's going to start a gong show. So I didn't mind a 4 nothing game because it usually wasn't uh, embarrassing. Um, so those were probably the wheelhouse for guys like me and Mel for not that we could get some shit, maybe even get a power play or something out there. Um, well, kind of like you said, that was your penalty. That was your biggest penalty minute season, 308 minutes and 78 games in Fort Wayne. Of course, the following year, Fort Wayne yeah. actually dropped out of the IHL. So you're, so here you are, you're on the move again and you end up in Utah. Yeah. Um, how did that happen? Oh, that one was just strictly agents, yeah. I would have stayed in the Ford again, just like Chicago, man. I loved Fort Wayne. The town loved me. Um, it was a blue-collar town. You know, Detroit's kind of a blue-collar town. The building was great. We had a tough team. All the guys were staying and retiring there. Ian Boyce lived there. Chinner never played for us, but he lived there. Fletcher came out to practice. Everyone went to Fort Wayne, married somebody, and lived there. Um I would have stayed forever. I remember when, when, um, gosh, not, not, uh, not Dave Franke, Michael Franke called me and he was like, I don't know if I was uh, the first one they told. I would find that unlikely just because of the, the, the long tenured, uh, relationship that Boyce and Bow and those guys and Guy Dupuy had. But I had to be one of the first. He told me I was one of the first guys they told because he said that I remember sitting there kind of, it was in the summer. Uh, and I was kind of hoping to go back and expecting to go back. And he just said he wanted to call me personally. And that, you know, when they sit in meetings and they talk about what, what a comment, what a comment is and what's it, what it represents. I'm exactly that. And they'd love to offer me a contract, but they thought that they owed it to me to tell me they were, they were going to drop down to the United league. And I was like, well, God, I would stay forever, but, uh, I'm not, I can't pl- I can't afford to play in that league. So again, I was up at free agency and, Bob Bourne was a first-year coach in Utah, and he wanted to add some toughness. Uh, Mick wasn't a heavyweight anymore. He was getting a little bit older, and he was bringing in some NHL guys. Um, so he ended up signing me and uh, Brad Miller and Andre Shrubkoff and, uh, oh, God. Paul Cruz? No, Cruiser came much later. Um, Cruiser came after I got hurt. I, I, I sprained my MCL and missed a month or two. Um, and cruiser got sent down from Buffalo. Uh, this, uh, this was a hard year for me because Buffalo had wanted me to come to camp. Um, right after I signed, and this is, this is what ultimately led to my retirement was, um, Buffalo had asked me to come to camp and I'd already signed with Salt Lake. Um, and my agent was like, all right, yeah, great. You know? And they're like, well, we, we need you to, to avoid the contract in Salt Lake. And my agent was like, well, then you guys need to sign him. And they're like, well, we're not prepared to sign him. And they're like, well, he's not prepared to forego his contract in the eye. And they're like, well, we need to be able to, we need to be able to place him in the American league. If we like what we see, he's like, well, he can't come there with no contract. There's just, you know, someone else will take the job that he currently has. And that's what happened. I had to choose my contract versus a shot at making the NHL a dream shot. And, you know, what type of shot did I really have? But they weren't willing to sign me to a two-way anyway. So I figured I was just going there to be meat and potatoes for the preseason. Um, maybe maybe I make the team. I did it in the eye. Maybe I make it in the NHL. 
so Dennis V. L. ends up taking that, that that tryout offer, not making their team, and ends up in the East Coast League and has to wait several months to finally get back into the IHL. So that's what, you know, ultimately I made the right decision because I, I would have been without a job and who knows, you know, who knows. But then I blew my knee and spent, you know, a month down in San Antonio rehabbing it. And while I was down there, Bobby Bourne decided to leave me off the playoff roster. I just said, you know, I've had enough. It's a business. I've been in five towns in six years on one-way contracts. Um, I'm about to turn 30 or I was 30. I'm like, I want to have kids. Time to be done. So I, I just shut it down immediately. I still had contract offers the next year in the eye, but I just, I wasn't interested. I said I would play if I played in Detroit. Detroit still had, I don't even know if Banksy was still there, but they had a couple guys. That, oh, Fredericks was still there. They had the big Russian, uh, God, Alex. Uh, oh, Stoyanov. Alex. Uh, yeah, Stoyanov was there, so they, they weren't just going to sign me because I, I quit and lived in Detroit. And I never played again. So Happy. Had a had a, had my oldest son a couple months later after retirement, um, you know. But when I look back, that's the one thing. If I could change, I could change one thing about my career was that I just didn't play. I wanted to play one game in the NHL. I played a couple preseason games in '94 with Edmonton, but not I didn't play it. It wasn't what I did. I just wish one year that I would have just forgo the respect of the game and just got 500 minutes. You know. Gags did it. Sean Gagno did it. I played against him in the coast, and I played against him in the fort. And the one year, big, strong dude. Like, I mean, he he earned it. But one year when he was in Fort Wayne, he went bananas. He got 400 minutes or 500 minutes. And next year he played four or five games in Dallas. I just feel like if I would have done just done the the, the stup- stupidity role for a, a year, maybe I would have gotten an NHL contract to play that one-inch game. So that's really the only only thing that I regret is that I didn't get to play one game in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, especially you put in all the battles and the miles, right? But uh, but before we kind of leave Utah, i got to ask you about a couple guys here that you played with. Obviously, you had mentioned fighting Mick Fakoda and then playing. What was it like, um, you know, NHL veteran guy like that? And uh, what was it like hanging out with uh, Fakoda? He was awesome. I tell you what, man. I, I don't know where he is now. I did a poor job of keeping keeping in touch with guys that I only played with a year. That's kind of like I said. I, I kind of disappointed that I didn't play in one town more than one year because I would have liked to form some relationships with guys that, that would have kept going. You know, I've got relationships with guys that I played junior with, guys I played at Miami with. Not many I played pro with just because we were from so many different places. And, uh, you know, you retire several years later, and I don't know where they are now. But, Mick, God, he was awesome. I mean, I was 29 years old and still felt like I was being mentored by him. Um, he had a bit of a screw loose, kind of like Topper. He would lose his mind. But the, the year I played with him, he was kind of a light heavyweight, if you will, maybe. He was he was losing fights that he shouldn't even have been in um, just because he still liked it and was kind of crazy. Um, but he was getting a regular shift. Bobby liked him. He, he used to tell the stories. I mean, he stole the bus one time to go get shoe um, when he was with the Islanders <laughs> and uh, um, God, who was the coach for the Islanders? Um, 
the, oh god, the, the the legendary Bob Bourne played from all the the Stanley Cups. What was oh, that Arbor. guy's name? Al Arbor. Um, yeah, Al Arbor. Al Arbor's the coach, and the team goes out to get the bus, and it's gone. And then Mick comes pulling up, and he's driving the bus, and he stole it to go buy a can of chew. It's just stories like that. You just, I'm like, God, I could never, I could never imagine living the life that he did. I mean, his his wife was an attorney, and they lived in like Martha's Vineyard in the summer, and he'd get in a bar fight, and she wouldn't bail him out, and she'd make him sleep there all night. Just he'd go home in the middle of the winter in Salt Lake and be like, I'm gonna take my Harley out. I'm like, but dude, it was like. An ice storm last night. He's like, yeah, that's fine. But uh, great teammate, great guy, knew where to go. Like every town, he'd be like, hey, we're going here for dinner. This place is great. We'll go here for drinks after. He was, God, he would have been, you know, he could be one of your best friends forever. He's just a good dude, and he'd been around and seen it all, and he knew everything. So, Well, it's, yeah, it's funny because he's from Saskatoon here. and uh, Actually, one of the guys I work with grew up with him. Oh, and he's got some legendary high school stories of Mickelroda. Uh, he's like, yeah, they're they're nuts. Wow. Yeah, he's. Uh, I can only imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, another guy that you played with, he didn't play there long, um, and of course, he's become sort of internet famous, and he's on TV now, and he's written a couple books with Terry Ryan. Do you remember Terry Ryan? <laughs> yeah, I do. I he wasn't. He, I don't. I I see those same things now with spitting chiclets and all the shit he does with that. But he wasn't there very long. I know it's, uh, no, he just played actually the think, yeah. I think, Oh, it, actually that leads up to one of the fights that I hate the most in my career. Um, was, uh, Oh God, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Reed Simpson. Yes. So, so Reed Simpson could get sent down from Chicago to Cleveland. I ask him to fight. He says he can't because he's got bad hands. Five minutes later, he's fighting Terry Ryan. So then later, I get into him again and have a chance to fight him. And there's only two fights that I, I that I've read stuff about that I'd like to clear up, and this is one of them. And this was we were wearing our third jerseys, and they were not fit. They didn't fit correctly, and my head got stuck in the shoulder of the jersey and you could see it the fights online. Oh, I can still yeah. see rough I could still see slightly through the jersey and I think we went toe to toe fine. Nobody was hitting each other. We were fine. I mean it looked like a good fight, but he, I don't think I was hitting him. He certainly wasn't hitting me. And then we come together and I can't see shit. I'm stuck inside the third jersey, which we hated. Val- Valentine's, Thursday jerseys, practice jerseys. We tough guys hated all of those because stuff like this happens and i think we discussed earlier that i preferred to know exactly where my jersey was going to be at all times and this is an exact reason of why so the refs came in and i can't see i can kind of only hear so the refs come in and you see on the video i let both of my hands go so i have no grip on him whatsoever and the refs let everybody go and back out and gives me this wind up sucker punch and i go down because i don't want to get a hit again but he didn't even hit me, so I'm grabbing for people's legs or anything because I think he's going to hit me again. And I'd, I'd read stories where he knocked me out, that that punch didn't even land. And then I'd heard he went in their locker room and he was like, "Tell, I'll tell the IHL heavyweights they can't, they can't, they they aren't all that something, something stupid." And I know I retired, and never saw him again. But I would have loved to have had another shot at him. And then there was a fight in Kalamazoo one time. I came back out between periods. 
looking for a contact, and I read online somewhere that they said I was looking for a tooth. So I have all my teeth. They're not fake. But I was like, I wouldn't go back out there looking for my tooth, but I went looking for a contact for sure. So, But, yeah, Terry was a good guy. I didn't know him very well. I didn't really know much about him. He was only there. He was tough. He was small. Um, I remember he fought he fought Simpson just before I did after I'd already asked him to and then never heard of him again and then the last I don't know what three years maybe the last three years he's come out on social media like like gangbusters oh yeah he's but, written uh, a, wrote a couple written a couple books um they're really good actually his his first book tales of a first round nothing is awesome and uh yeah yeah, yeah it's really good and now he's on the TV short uh, TV show Shorzy and uh yeah so he's oh uh, he is on shorzy yeah i love letter canning but i i just i don't know if i like shorzy that's the least like character from that show that i like so i don't know if i can take a, a full series of that but yeah he, i liked him i don't really remember a ton about him I, like i said i remember him fighting reed Simpson the same night i did i remember chatting him up because obviously any new guy to your team that's going to fight with you you get kind of get to know but he wasn't there very long so i I knew he was a first rounder and I knew he, that was a flop. And I knew I still respected him because he was still fighting. He was still trying to get around, but then I didn't hear anything from him. And then literally the last three years, he's, he's everywhere. I, and I certainly don't remember him being as funny as he is now on these, on these social media things. So he's done, uh, he's, he's flipped it around, has, has a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, I know I've taken up a lot of your time. I'll just, I gotta ask you a couple more fights here and then we'll, uh, you know, and you'll call it a career. But, uh, you mentioned him kind of briefly and he was playing with Detroit. When you fight a guy like Kyle Friedrich that's that big, um, Ugh. yeah, he was, uh, and, you know, unfortunately injuries kind of cut his career short. But, uh, uh, what's the game plan fighting that mountain with arms? You know, I don't really have one. You know, I actually fought him once, and somehow I got inside or landed one good where I did okay. Um, yeah, we kind of went toe-to-toe. It, we kind of went toe-to-toe-ish and then fell down. Um, I would consider that lucky on my part because he was huge. I can only reference my other fight of a guy that size was Steve McKenna. Um, he was in Phoenix when I was in Chicago, and he, this was before he was an NHL fighter. He came out of, I don't know, UMass Lowell or someone. He's a he's an American college kid or at least a college kid. I don't know if he's American, but he I got I tried to go toe to toe with him before he was an NHL heavyweight and swing and a miss, he'd hit me in the face. I'd swing and a miss, he hit me in the face. I'd swing and a miss, he hit me in the face. Thank God he wasn't throwing as hard as he was later when he was with the Kings cuz I literally started laughing. I'm like I don't even know what to do here because it's somewhat rare for me to fight a guy that much bigger than me with that much reach. So um, I didn't do well against McKenna, but it was like a pillow fight. So thank God he didn't hurt me. But uh, Fredericks, I feel like I just somehow, I don't know how I just somehow got inside of him, but I, well, I've seen the fight with him and Bandy where he not loses the tooth. That's crazy. Yeah. But uh, he was there for one reason. Uh, he certainly couldn't play the game, but uh, he was a big dude, man. He, I think he was weighing in at like 270 or something like that. I'm like, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's way out of my league. So. <laughs> well, one last name, and he, of course, he played in the NHL for a long time, a toe-to-toe guy, and tougher to two dollar stake as they say and it was your last fight in the ihl february 27th 2000 rudy poshek 
Oh, yeah, Rudy, yeah, he was in Houston. Uh, yeah, honestly, I don't really remember much about that fight. I think it was quick. It was nothing, probably. I don't think I heard him. I don't recall being hurt by him, but he was a guy I respected. He wasn't there much. I didn't play against him much. Um, who did I fight? I always fought somebody in Houston. I can't remember who it was. Well, Moose was there. And then um, Greg Walters. I had a couple scrums with yeah, Wally, because Wally was in Chicago before me, and he went left Chicago go to the American League, and then wanted to come back to Chicago when they had signed me. And he talked to some of the guys who were on the team, and they're like, "We have, we're not. He's going to be here for a while." So um, he stayed in the American League, and then I fought him that year in in, in Utah. And then God, who was the who was a big dude that uh, was actually a pretty good player for Houston thick as can be. God, I can't think of his name. Um, anyway. Any, any, uh, yeah, Rudy, any, I don't... He was in Houston? Yeah, only one year the last year. He was an NHL guy, decent player. He was huge. Bill... Uh, oh, God. I think his first name was Bill. Anyway, I, I tried to get into it with him a couple of times. The one time he wanted to go, I was on a no fight that day, that list, but he did give me the roll of quarters that I thought broke my jaw. I'm like, thank God I never had to really fight him. Cause he punched like a, like a monster. Um, yeah, Rudy, I don't really remember much of the fight. It was pretty much nothing. I'm assuming if, uh, I got, I remember probably 99% of the fights and a couple you brought up are ones that I don't really remember. I think we fought in Houston, um, oh, Bill Heward? If memory serves me. Yeah, Bill Heward. Yep, that's who it was. That guy was a monster. He wasn't a heavyweight, but he could have been. If he wasn't, if he was any worse of a player, he would have been a heavyweight, but he didn't need to fight. He was pretty good. But, man, he was he was solid. And I remember one time he finally, I'd asked him before, and he wouldn't. And he asked me to fight, and I said, I can't. I'm on a no fight. Um, I was literally told, our whole team was told no fights, and he gave me like a roll of quarters and man, I thought he broke my jaw. <laughs> um, yeah, Rudy, I don't remember much about him, but he was pretty well respected. He didn't want to fight. It was towards the end of his career. I remember him being a guy that I, pro- I, I probably had to ask him to go because he was getting some more playing time there and didn't want to deal with guys like me. Well, like you said, you kind of end up in San Antonio, you know, to work the knee and stuff and whatever. But, uh, I know, like you said, you obviously were just down there to condition and, but there was a couple guys there. I mean, Mark LaForge was there, Garnet Jacobson, a young guy. But but the assistant coach was Craig Cox. Yeah. Did you get along with Coxie? Coxie was – I didn't see him much. I was – it was a weird – I was there maybe three weeks, maybe maybe longer. I mean, I played 10 or 12 games there. Like the first, uh, you mentioned a young guy. I don't remember that guy at all. Now, Forgey, I knew him. I remember he was in Edmonton's camp when I was there. Yeah. He was, he was, he was perfect for me there because he was at a point that he didn't want to fight anybody. He was going to be a player coach eventually. Um, he wanted no part of it. He wasn't leaving San Antonio. He had kids, was living there. He was married. So he would do a nice job and be like, Hey, we kind of had a Chris Stewart. Chris Stewart, was he the coach? Yep. Some, the one yep. guy was a coach and we were, we, I didn't know him very well and he was, they started counting how many hits we were getting. And now I realized I'd been left off the playoff roster in Utah. And I'm like, just get me these freaking this. And San Antonio wasn't making the playoffs. 
So I was just like, man, get me through these 10 games and so I can get the fuck out of here. And he was like all over us. They wanted to count how many hits we had. So we had to start hitting. And Forgey would do a real nice job of telling guys, hey, listen, coach is counting hits. None of us want to fight. So I'm like, I'm not going to fight in the, in, in the CHL for Christ's sake. I did fight one time and took a helmet. I think it was a headbutt or a helmet off the eye and probably took fucking 15 stitches. And I'm like, this is, this is stupid. I don't know what I'm doing here. Like Gary Kapal was down there and like, he didn't, we didn't want to fight. Like it was end of the year. It was kind of cool that Forgy was there to talk everybody out of it. Like uh, Brock Bank was there. Brooke Bank was there. God, you could probably name 10 guys that we played against that I don't even know their names now, but I, they ended up in the NHL and I'm like, thank God. Three weeks in San Antonio, I wasn't fighting those guys in that, to, to shut down the shut that career down. Yeah, well, well, we've wrapped up your 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 on ice career, uh, but of course now I I was talking I I have to ask you, you played three well two seasons and a couple games in the RHI the Roller Hockey League in the summer. Um, <laughs> what what was that like? I tell you what, it was unbelievable. It's some of the best times I've ever had. Um, Detroit sucked. Uh, we played at Cobo Hall. We didn't even have sport court for tryouts and dog shit. Burr and Cicerelli owned the team, but they weren't around. We didn't have any money. It was the first year team. It was kind of a shit show. Um, uh, Craighead was on the team. Maxwell was on the team. Um, but yeah. then I went out to LA. And L.A. was unbelievable. So I don't know how much you know about the RHI. I talk to people about roller hockey. They're like, oh, that beach stuff with the corners. And I'm like, no, no, this was on ESPN2. We played at all the big arenas. So Jeannie Buss, who is Dr. Buss, Jer- Dr. Jerry Buss's daughter, she owned the team. And this is one of the first teams she owned, which she now owns and runs the L.A. Lakers. Um, yep. So she, this, is one of, this is one of the first things that became hers and hers alone so she owned our team and man was she was she a great host to us and our girlfriends and turns out to be our wives at the time um you know we played in the forum our locker room was the king's locker room we put our dress clothes in the lakers locker room the laker girls were our cheerleaders we played in every big barn that you could imagine colorado played where the avalanche played um, Anaheim played in the pond. Every San Jose, we played where the Sharks played. So every every stadium was an NHL stadium, except uh, Sacramento. We played outside. The sun would go down. And you have to wear sunglasses in in, in warmups. <laughs> it was awesome. It was a it was a it was a rec league, beach league. Maybe the first two years, and then. About the year I came in or the year before, I only played two years. It was the last two years the RHI was even around. And there was probably 25, 30 teams in the league at that point. But they did a nice job for travel. You didn't have to go to Buffalo. We played up and down up and down the West Coast. Um, we would go to practice at the Forum at 10 o'clock. Full-blown practice. Mark Hardy was the coach. He's an assistant coach in the IHL. Played like 18 years in the NHL. So he ran practice like it was uh, – like an IHL practice. So we'd have a full practice. We'd have lunch, go to the pool, 
or the beach, depending on where our, our girlfriends were at the time or our wives. Some of the guys were married. We lived in corporate housing, so everything was completely furnished. We had a pool that basically was run by all of us. We'd either go to the pool or the beach. We'd go to, go to the gym, go to dinner, go to the bar, rinse and repeat for three months. So we were in the best shape of our lives because we were playing and practicing every single day. And for me and the guys like, let's see, who else played? Sasha Lakovic, uh, yeah. God, uh, Evans, I can't think of Evans' first name. Um, a bunch of tough guys played in the league, and it was a non-fight league, right? So you got paid per game. So everyone made the same. I believe everybody made the same. There may be a few big-name guys in Anaheim who were getting some money under the table, but per the league, you could everyone made the same, and you got paid per game, and it was a no-fight league. So if you got if you fought that game, you were ejected from that game, and you were suspended from the next game. So I think I fought one Doug Evans. I think his name was. I fought one time in two years, and I'm the all-time penalty minutes leader in LA Blades franchise history. I only played there two years, but I had like 90 minutes. That's like. 90 minutes in a year for two years is the record because it's a no-fight league. Um, so it was absolutely awesome. We would go to Monday Night Boxing at the Forum. We'd go to every concert. I saw Kiss. I saw Garth Brooks. And then after, we'd go to the Forum Club, and it was like we were the Lakers. We People would want to see us and talk to us. Now, we'd only get three or 4,000 fans, not 15, but we could go to any concert or anything at the Forum because – Jeannie's dad owned the Lakers. It was awesome. It was some of the best. And we just had a reunion uh, a couple months ago this summer. So the first time it's, I don't know, whatever, 97 or 98, the league folded. And we just had uh, Jeannie put on a spread and flew a bunch of us out to L.A. and had this huge party for us. And uh, it was pretty cool. So it's uh, <laughs> that was some of the best times. Yeah, like I can remember just the RHI being on ESPN, and we're just like at the first time, it's like, what is this, you know? And and yeah, like you said there was, uh, you know, it was fat, you know, up and down, and I mean, there was hitting, dudes would hit, and there was a few fights now and again. I know Wagner got into a fight in the handshake line. I remember that, and uh, I remember Darren yeah. Langdon played in the league one year. He got into a fight too. He was an animal. Oh yeah, yeah. But Lakovic, I mean, he, you know, Lakovic was always good for some crazy stuff, but. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I was, I thought the RHI was pretty cool. Like I've talked, I've had a few guys, and that Frank Kovacs was on the show, and I had he talked about the RHI. Oh yeah, he where was he was in San Jose. Yep, yeah, and like he said, he goes, yeah. oh, it's better than going home and working construction. So you know, it was it was awesome. The, the, I think the five or six years that it was around, I think it was five years that it was around, and the first two years I think was essentially just beach guys that he had kind of grew up in California or moved out there. And then they started getting IHL, AHL yeah. and East coast league guys. And it was just, a, I mean, you could probably go through those rosters and find 500 guys that played in the, the I or the A or the coast. And then probably find 200 guys you never heard of. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it was cool. It was great. It was a good time. Well, there's the uh, there's the the hockey uh, the career of Sean Penn. Um, like I said, I uh, we've talked for a long time, so I don't want to keep you for too much longer. But uh, after it was all said and done, and you you wrapped up your, your hockey playing days, um, what what does Sean Penn do these days? 
I'm in medical device sales, so I've been in device sales. I got into medical in about uh, oh one, really about a year after I retired. I, I got into medical, and then oh four got into devices, which is a pretty good career to have. And I've been with two different companies since oh four, and in the vascular space. So we sell. Uh, I, I manage. I was a rep for quite a while. And now I manage a team of. Of 11 reps and 16 direct reports, it's a privately held company. We sell a stent graft for abdominal aortic aneurysms. Um, live in Michigan, uh, empty nester, two kids, two boys playing college baseball. I uh, play a ton of golf, and that's about it. That sounds all right, man. You, you made it out, but, uh, you know, and, uh, well, I want to uh... – I want, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show tonight. Uh, I know we had, we had kind of gone back and forth and I had talked to you, uh, in the summer about coming on. So, um, it was good to finally get you on. And like I said, it was, uh, you know, I, I, you know, obviously being a fight fan, and everything else. And I remember watching you in the eye and everything. And I was always a fan. So no, it, it's been, uh, it's been cool talking to you, man. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you, man. And thanks for having me on. It's fun to kind of relive some of these stories and you say names that I haven't heard in a long time. And I can certainly tell you, we appreciate guys like you that appreciated what we did and kind of let the legend live on and tell these stories and, and, and keep it going. So we appreciate it. And thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. And for everybody listening out there, if you get a hold of me and I will, uh, actually I will, I'm going to get your DVD here and I'm going to upload it and I will put it on the internet. So people listening, listen to this interview, can go back and watch the fights that we were just talking about. And, uh, yeah, cause there, yeah, there's, some, there's some awesome tilts on there. And, uh, but yeah, I want to thank you again and, uh, I won't keep you any longer, but, uh, thank you very much, Sean. I appreciate it. Thanks, Darren, man. Keep up the good work. We appreciate you. Thank you. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?